I'm the target of a meat missile going 150 miles an hour plus. That got really <laughs> exciting all of a sudden. I'm doing canopy safety. Um, I drive like an Asian, so I don't know if it's the most appropriate thing ever. I'm killing it. Utah, give me two. You're listening to Gravity Lab Radio, hosted by DJ Marvin and produced by Nicholas Live. Have we talked about skydiving the whole time? Gentlemen. Gentlemen. We are live. We are live. It's kind of weird for me to it's say this. It's kind of weird for me to say. From, from that seat. That Wait. Seat. What? Are we, are we playing repeater right now? <laughs> Good morning, afternoon. Good evening, Mr. Raul. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing just fine. <laughs> I really scrambled my brains, by the way. <laughs> so it's really weird saying good evening, good afternoon, gentlemen, from that seat. Well, no, to say, like, gentlemen, welcome to the show. Yeah. Because I feel like Justin started the show. So it's not my spot to... You know, maybe it's time for a change, Justin. How do you feel? Sure, why not? Because (laughs) technically... Welcome everyone to the show. Now go home. (laughs) (laughs) Nick would start the show from that chair all the time, that seat, and as he brought the music out, brought everything up, he would welcome everybody to the show. So, uh, Nick, are you passing off the torch? I, I might be. It just feels inappropriate from over here. Like, I'm just sitting in the corner, like, he's pushing up the volume over there, he's controlling the thing. Just so you feel weird. Yeah, I feel weird because I'm just sitting here doing nothing, talking to the mic. That's it. Yeah, but I just don't. I don't feel like I should start. Is that weird? No, man. I mean, it, you got to do something around here. All right, we've got to make you useful. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Welcome, Raul. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing fine. How about you guys? Doing good, man. Uh, Raul Quinoa. <laughs> Raul Quinones. Quinones. Raul Quinones is our guest tonight. Raul is is absolutely. I have a lot of wonderful friends from Venezuela, so for me to make this next statement, it really means a lot. You're my absolute favorite Venezuelan person, man, and I love the Venezuelan people. I've met so many wonderful people. Yeah. Last Thank time you, you yo, you're welcome, man. Last time you joined us on the show, we dove a little bit into what's going on in Venezuela. Uh, guys, gals, if you've not checked it out, Justin will get us an episode number here in a little bit. But I'd highly encourage you check out what's going on in the country of Venezuela, one of the most beautiful, diverse countries in the world. That's going to help because some douchebag is in charge. So check that out. But tonight you're joining us, and we're going to really focus on your other love and your other passion. And that is big way skydiving. Correct. So, Raul, how long have you been jumping? Uh, 25 years. I started in 1993. I started in 1992. I couldn't finish my AFF course because of weather. And I did it in Florida, in Sebastian. Mm -hmm. And I went back to Venezuela in the four or five months and came back and I finished it. So, in 93... Finish. So almost 26 years then. 26 years. Do you feel like Raul's voice is just even more beautiful in these headphones? I would call it sultry. That, that. <laughs> mm. It's my voice might get used to it. Oh, man. I'm, I'm going to actually probably go to bed listening to this. Never mind. <laughs> Using this. So one of the things that I find interesting is you guys know I just celebrated my 21st year in skydiving, and that, that's kind of a cool landmark. But now... I'm at the point, but you've been at it a while. You yeah. teach people to skydive all the time who were born after you started skydiving. Correct. How, how, do you ever find that weird? Is it, How is that going? Sometimes. Sometimes I feel like I'm old. <laughs> but <laughs> mm-hmm. but you know, I mean, it's a good feeling. It's a good feeling, uh, you know, teach people uh, to skydive and, uh, you know, to, sh- to show that knowledge that you were accumulating for so many years. Yeah, it's, it's a good feeling. I, it's 
to share my passion, to share my love. And, excuse me, one thing that kind of gets to me and one thing that, that blows my mind is that skydivers were very shiny object squirrel kind of people. What's going on? I've had a lot of passions, a lot of loves, and I've chased a lot of things around in life, including different jobs and careers that I couldn't stick with. And skydiving is the one thing. I've never done anything longer than skydiving. Breathing, maybe a little. <laughs> but other than that, skydiving's it. You, for you, I think it's the same way. You've had a lot of careers, a lot of lives, haven't you? Yeah. Skydiving is the one thing you've stuck with. What is it that keeps you coming back? Wow, what a good question. The same feeling that I felt when I did my first one. That, uh, I don't know, that thrill, that thing that got me onto, into it. Uh, feel of being in free fall. They, when they open the door, that smell, when you're there and you, it's not fear, it's not, it's, I don't know how to describe it, just being right at the door is it's an amazing feeling. That things, that, that kind of things that keep me going, you know? It's a focus for me, man. When that door opens, I'm in the moment. I'm here. I'm I now. love it. I love it. I love it. What keeps What keeps you going, Mister P? Gosh, it's just fun, man. I think yeah. I I think I curse skydiving on an almost daily basis. Like like today, I was walking in. I had I just did a hop and pop, and I had I've been working on upright exits facing forward, and they're just hard. Yeah. But I've been I've been doing well, and I, so I was super psyched. And then I had a really good swoop and. Did some freestyle stuff and didn't fall down. And I just started chuckling to myself and I went, God, fucking skydiving. Because it's just, it's incomparably awesome. Like, there's nothing else that's that's anywhere near as cool as skydiving is. You know, one thing Correct. one thing you mentioned a second ago is, is you feel awkward welcoming and introducing the show. You know, welcome gentlemen. And it's because you kind of feel like that's Justin's position or Justin's job. But, you know, it makes me think one other thing, man. Here's something we don't do well enough and something I want to make sure we do a little bit better. Hey, Justin, you're newer to the sport compared to the rest of us. What keeps you coming back? Why don't we involve you more in these conversations, motherfucker? I don't know. I'm just the dude that looks at all the monitors and shit. Dude, you stay busy <laughs> over there. You do stay active. I think sometimes I look at you and like just now you were typing. Yeah, it was episode 10. I just posted the link. Dude, so if you're watching this on Facebook Live, uh, check out episode 10. You can go back on our Facebook archives. If you're downloading these, go back to episode 10. And man, I just before I ask Justin that question again, one thing that shocks me on a regular basis is a lot of our fans and a lot of our listeners don't realize. Go to your podcast app on your phone. If you don't have a podcast app on your phone, go to www.gravitylabradio.com on your phone and you'll get a direct link to a free podcast app. Gravity Lab Radio is on Facebook Live, but we're actually meant to be a downloaded audio content. So you can download this to your phone, listen it at your convenience. I can't tune in every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. because I'm here. I can't do these things. So guys, gals, if you're checking it out, please download us on iTunes. Please comment. Please rate. Please review. Please boost us up a little bit and help your friends know more about it. But Justin, back to you typing busy over there. What keeps you coming back? Sniffing your girl's hair? <laughs> <laughs> That's a plus. <laughs> um, just the community. And uh, I also uh, very much enjoy teaching and uh, being a part of the whole process of seeing others learn and and, and understand things and, and get it. Um, I had a background while I was in college of substitute teaching at a private high school and also um, 
was a TA for, you know, physics and calculus and stuff like that. Um, really much, very much enjoyed it, but uh, couldn't do it for a living, especially not, not mm-hmm. in that kind of environment. But I feel like skydiving is an awesome environment because everyone's happy. They're enjoying what they're doing. They're not being forced to learn calculus, for example. <laughs> Did you say the community? Because of the community, mm-hmm. we are all so different. Mm-hmm. But when we are in the air, we're just one. It's family, yeah. It's family. One love, man. One love. It's, uh, I visited Jamaica recently, and that whole idea of one love that you hear is very different when you experience it. And I got to hang out, hang out with some Jamaican friends through the process, dude. One love. I thought they were talking about drugs. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking the one same love. thing. <laughs> How's Sober September going, my friend? Dude, Sober September is going great. How's Sober September for you? Man, you know, I, I don't think we've uh, talked about that on the show at all. No, and I really, so the month of September, I'm be going strictly completely sober. Uh, for my friends who know me, they know I don't drink tons, but I drink enough. And then there's other things that might want to keep me sober. You read into that all you want, guys. And yeah, I, I did notice there wasn't any scotch sitting out. There's, well, there is that bottle of Johnny Walker. Right there. You, you, you usually eyes. have a glass is what I mean. Oh, yeah, I have a glass. And I usually have other things sitting somewhere around here. And um, for me, it's more of a exercise and discipline you know uh mm-hmm. steven talks about this ab- about you all the time and so do a few of us you're one of the most disciplined people i know i d- would love to take that compliment i think i'm just very habitual mm-hmm. i will i will understand that <clears throat> i get that and so for me it's really an exercise and discipline uh not only have I, am i doing sober september for now the first two weeks i'm doing complete intermittent fasting again it's noon to 8 p.m um, I, I think I told you I've just got uh, diagnosed with uh, pre-diabetic, which not a big deal, not an issue. But you have to take care of yourself. Let's get ahead of that game. Yeah. As you know, I'm eating healthier. I'm eating smarter. And I got settled on that 170, 175 range. I'm like, oh, I'm okay with this weight loss I've had. And I wish he washed back and forth whether I should have it. But after that last physical, I want to lose 10 more pounds. I want to get away from that pre-diabetic stage. So this exercise and discipline will help me tighten up my eating habits, tighten up my exercise habits. The first day of Sober September can suck a dick. (laughs) It was the, somebody came up to me and they're like, bro, it's the first day. How could it be so bad? I'm like, the first day is always going to be the worst. After the first week, I don't think it'll be that hard. And even back to intermittent fasting, man, the first day was like, I was so hungry for the first four hours. Today, man, now when noon hit, I was happy to grab some food in my mouth, but I was like, ah. I, I can be okay with this. I was only... So, well, you're, you're eating from noon to eight? That's yes. your window? Yeah. Okay. From noon to eight. The only reason I got hungry before noon today is I was in a classroom, and these cocksuckers brought up burgers and fries at five till noon. In five minutes, I'm going, food. It smells so good. But Do you know what intermittent fasting is, Roel? Do you know what he means by that? What, fasting? Yeah. Yes, yeah, so intermittent fasting. I know. Means, so... Um, you're you're restricting yourself to a certain number of hours in the day where you're allowed to eat. Okay. So like DJ saying he eats from noon until eight. So he doesn't eat anything after eight o'clock and doesn't eat anything before noon. So he's giving himself an eight hour window. So every day he's essentially fasting for the other six, 16 hours of the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was listening to, <clears throat> so I did a fast last month mm-hmm. and it was a longer one. And so I, fi- I try and find things. When it starts to suck, I try and find knowledge that makes me feel justified and a little motivated. And I've talked to a couple people. I don't, uh, I don't remember the name of the scientist, but he's a pretty well-renowned researcher with, when it comes to fasting. 
But he was talking about this study of, uh, of rats that they did, and there are two different groups of rats, where there's one group that has access to food all day long, and it's a high-carbohydrate, high-fat diet. And if anyone knows much about nutrition, if you're eating high carbohydrates and high fat, your body burns the carbohydrate, stores the fat. So um, it's not a great weight, uh, you know, weight loss diet. But uh, so there's there's one group that can eat this diet whenever they want. Food's available all day long. <clears throat> Second group, it's the same diet, same food, same rats, same mm-hmm. same everything except for they only make the food available for several hours of the day. And so they, they, both of the groups end up eating pretty much the same volume of food, the same volume of the same type of food. And in the group that uh, can eat whenever they want, you see uh, diabetes and obesity and uh, the development of other diseases. And in the group that is only eating in the small window, you don't see any of this stuff, that they live longer, they're healthier. And um, I guess the, the kind of theory behind it is that when you're eating constantly, you're never really giving your body a break. Like... Uh, I've, I've, I know I've talked about this before on the podcast about uh, what your immune system, like where it lives in your body, 90% of your immune system lives in your gut because taking in food, eating food is the, the, the way that you introduce the most foreign bodies into yourself so that there's a huge part of your immune system in your gut to fend off all of this potentially dangerous stuff, right? So there's an immune response anytime you're eating anything that your body has to attack it. And an immune response equals inflammation. And inflammation is connected to all sorts of diseases, especially autoimmune diseases. So by, by eating all the time, that you're, you're maintaining the state of inflammation, which promotes the growth of disease and, and stuff like that. So the whole, the whole idea behind the intermittent fasting is you're, you're giving your body a break to catch up, and you're not causing that uh, constant inflammation. Interesting. Then that's my problem is the lack of discipline. I eat nonstop. Uh, I don't know many people who can eat as much or as often as I will. Nick Lott is probably the person who can <laughs> trump me on that. But we've gone to dinners together where we can eat as much as we're allowed to and want to, and everybody's done, and me and this little midget here are just shoving food down our face. <laughs> Can't help it, man. Yeah. Can't stop. The hardest part about inter- the weirdest part about intermittent, not excuse me, intermittent fasting, but sober September has been lucid fucking dreams. Yeah, you got the dreams going? Dude, I have had the most wild rides of dreams, man. Active, vivid, lucid. Things that are coming up. I have a lot of things coming up, special projects with a couple different companies. And man, the dreams I've had about some of these projects and the interactions I'm having with my friends and the conversations. And and A, very controllable and very directed where I can be like, well, I don't like what's going on here, so let's go do this together or let's go do that. But number two, I could describe all of them still. And you know, when you have a dream, you're usually going like, where'd it go? Where'd it go? No, man, it's, it's pretty wicked. Last night was the first night this month I did not have any issues. I also doubled down on my CBD dosage. I don't consider CBD a drug. There's no psychoactive effect. It's that medicated uh, use. And I definitely said, man, I got to get some better sleep tonight because that dream state has had me hyperactive at night as far as I wake up every couple hours like, man, this is holy (laughs) cow, super real. So you said that this is going to help you develop some discipline. Yes, sir. How does that work in your mind? By proving to myself I can make a decision and stick with it, by saying I will do this and making myself do it. And I love food, and that's as far as intermittent fasting. But the other part of it is, is uh, man, 
sobriety I'm okay with. I'm great with. I don't mind it. But I have some habitual problems and some habitual addictions, and they're not necessarily chemically addictive. They're just I'm used to getting home and getting comfortable at night. I'm used to getting home and unwinding at night. I'm used to being off at work and unwinding during the day. And it's like, man, just make a decision to do something different is what this is about. So now as I go through this process, my decision to be healthier, my decision to live healthier, my decision to lose that last 10 pounds, because you know how much I've struggled with that decision. You, you've, you've asked me on several occasions, hey, what did you decide? Where are you going with I that? I think I only ever asked you that once. I think you asked me a few times. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is when I was still actively trying to figure out where oh, I Oh, okay. No, I no. Since, it's, since I've kind of tapered, <laughs> since that last you know, probably month or two months of the end of me losing weight, you asked a few times then. After that, no, you haven't asked me again since. And I, I appreciate it because you realize, ah, he's happy where he's at. He's good to go. Um, it's, it's just more than anything else, me proving to me that I can stick with the decisions I make. And Sober September is actually a rough decision for me. I really, dude. I, you and I talked about doing Sober September. Do you know when I decided? Do you know when I committed? Mm, I guess late August. <laughs> um, about... Three hours before September started, yeah. about three hours before September started, I took away everything I have, put away everything I had. You know, I have a couple bottles of scotch laying around. Just That's a, a gift from our buddy Waz. But everything is put away, out of sight, out of mind. And I said, man, I keep talking about this shit. Stop talking and start doing. And, and I'm good at talking. I need to get better at doing. So it's really... The, the bigger effect for me. Well, I invite anybody listening to, to join in on Sober September or Sacrifice September if you're going to give up something else or uh, wh- whatever. I, I just I think that there's benefit in doing something difficult for the reasons that you're talking about. Of mm-hmm. like, Hey, you can prove to yourself that you're capable of doing this thing. Correct. And then when you come up to the next struggle, well, fuck, I conquered that hard thing. Let's see how I do against this one. Have you done anything like this, Rollo, like a sacrifice time in your month, in your life? Of course, leaving your country is a huge one. <laughs> yeah, but nothing like you guys, like uh, fasting or stop drinking or something like that, no? Yeah, or something like that. Hmm. No. <laughs> <laughs> I skydive for a living. That's all I can think of. So you've been skydiving 25, 26 years. Yeah. What brings you back is the moment, the focus, the community is Justin and you both described, man. One love, one people. Mm-hmm. How many jumps do you have in those 25 years? About 9,000 jumps. 9,000. Mm-hmm. And realistically, I think it's been embraced. You've always skydived, but for a while, we were full-time. We worked full-time together yes. at Spaceland. Yeah. And there's times where you're part-time. Um, yeah. e- even more recently, you actually took, I wouldn't say a break from the sport, but we didn't see you nearly as often because you were focused on, on a business and yeah. on life. Mm-hmm. So, it, so it's been up and down. Mm-hmm. On those 9,000 jumps, you've been on a lot of big ways, and that's our focus tonight. Mm-hmm. When we say big ways, what, do you, what, what would you consider a big way? bunch of fat girls on a skydive? <laughs> <laughs> well, there is always this dilemma or, or you know, question, how, what is a big way? How many people mm-hmm. is a big way? And you don't have a straight answer for that. For me, a big way is more than 10. Some people say it's more than 16 because it's a 16 way or whatever. For me, a big way is more than 10 for me. That's my personal opinion. Uh, because you call it big, is big is a lot of people. Um, but yeah, uh, have a lot of big ways in my in my career because I start doing big ways from the beginning. As soon as I start skydiving, I remember I had uh, like a forty-five or fifty jumps, something like that. I was in D land, 
and they were doing a 30-way, and one of the guys over there, I think was Bob Hallett, the oh, owner yeah. of the of the of the drop zone, invited me to do participate on this, and I was like, I don't know what to do, you know. I mean, I was doing like a little camp or coach, and they say that I was good enough to to be there, but I was I wasn't feel like I'm capable of doing this. And I remember being in that plane and. My English at that point, still not good, but at that point it was really, really bad. But I understood somebody saying, what happened if this guy doesn't get there? What's plan B? And I understood that. And, and that, how, how many jumps did you have then? About 40, 40 or 50 jumps, that's, something like that. That's a really reasonable question. To yeah, have. of course. Legit. But for me, it was like, okay, I'm, I'm right here, you know? You should have turned to him and said, fuck you, man. I got 50 jumps. I know everything. I'm going on solo free fly. Fuck you guys. <laughs> I remember it took me a while to get to, to the slot, but I, I, I get there. I got there. And then when I land, I asked all these guys that I, eventually I find out who were there. Who were they? It was really big guys, you know, in, in big way uh, world. And... Uh, they were telling me, no, you did good, kind of late, but you did good, you did good. So I was so excited, and that, you know, it, um, uh, you know, give me, give me something, some confidence, and, and, you know, keep doing big ways, because at that point, you don't know what to do. I mean, jumping by yourself or whatever, I just want to find someone to skydive with. I want to take a little bit of the journey of how you got to the end, mm -hmm. but I want people who are listening to this to understand one thing as they understand this journey. Yeah. What's the largest successful formation skydive you've been on? 259. 259. And you hold some world records. Yeah. You hold some national records, probably in multiple countries. Yeah. And you hold some state records. Yeah. So multiple record holder. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to the beginning. Nick, were you about to ask a question as we got there? God, I think I was, but then I started listening to you and wasn't paying attention. I ruined it. No, Nick. go ahead. So now you've done this the first time, 45, 50 jumps. Yeah. At that moment, did you know Big Ways is where it's at for you? Well, I, I knew that because I was capable of doing that job, that like gave me something like, oh, this is what I wanted to do. I, with a lot of people in the air, like I was excited because of that. Well, I went back to Venezuela and I was... Uh, jumping in a small drop zone. And then my cousin was a pioneer. Pioneer? Yes, sir. Pioneer in Venezuela. And he decided, that was in 1993, 1994. In 1995, he decided to bring some people from here, from the land, to do a camp. And that was perfect. That's what I wanted to do. Nice. A camp. And that was... July 16, 1995. One week. And I remember, Paul, I don't know if you're familiar with this name, Paul McGreevy. Don't know if I do. Uh, he's a guy from the land. Uh -huh. Rickster Powell. Was Definitely doing, know that name. That was, he was doing video. Another guy, I don't remember. Scott was his name. He was a test pilot from PD, but also a really good skydiver. Don't remember his last name. It was a long time ago. And another, another guy. So we were doing a big way camp from Monday to Friday. We were like a 15 people there from Venezuela. All these guys teaching us how to, you know, uh, uh, fly and doing mm -hmm. small big ways. And in weekend, on the weekend, we 
do like a competition, five-way, six-way, and more people coming to participate in that. And it was so good, so good, so uh, uh, successful, that event, that he decided to do it every year, and he named the Venezuelan Connection Boogie. That's where the Venezuelan Connection yeah. I've seen come. Okay. And the Venezuelan Connection Boogie was so popular because we used the MIA chopper. MIA is a, a I don't mean Czechoslovakian uh, chopper, okay. I believe. If I made a mistake, I'm sorry. Is the problem is not how much he can lift. The problem is the capacity. But he can wait. Some see, they use him for antennas and you know all this okay. kind of stuff. So it could lift more people than it could fit. Correct. Okay. So we can fit in that chopper about 30 people comfortable. But, you know, we were in Venezuela. We were <laughs> crazy. And uh, we pulled like one day like a 40-something, 40 44. And we were like standing up. Like the fucking subway in China? Correct. <laughs> <laughs> so he decided to do it the first time in 90, I believe it was 96. And he invited about 60 guys from here and from all over the world. And between those guys was Jerry Bird. Big name, for sure. I have a lot of junk with him, and I learned so much from him. That's badass. Uh, Kate Cooper was there also. Uh, John Robbins. um, Roger Ponce de Leon. Man, we're talking about pioneers for sure yeah. here, and mm-hmm. still today innovators in yeah. some cases. And I remember I did so many uh, color concept jumps. Uh, jumps, yeah. remember? Yeah, with those him, are awesome. With him in 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 our drops in Nicaragua. Color concept jump. Color concept. It's a formation uh, with uh, like, a, for example, uh, thirty people, and ten of them are color jumps of blue. Another color is pink another color is yellow so is like that, that is a like as a display element for the spectators or for video for pictures for or is video that and pictures and everything from the ground you don't see nothing you know i think but probably one of the more recognized color concept jumps is the teamwork poster mm-hmm. have you ever seen that oh yeah yeah okay. so i think most of our listeners have seen a poster at some place about every episode of the office yeah this says teamwork <laughs> and it's a formation of everybody color coordinated yes so every quadrant move in a different position. So every the, the blue over here, the pink over here, and then when we turn points, it was different. But it was amazing. You just got to remember something uh, apart from Doc and the guy in the red suit. Correct. Because there were a bunch of those guys. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody. The only, the only thing I don't like about those jumpsuits is when he forgot to <laughs> clean it, <laughs> to wash it. Oh, because he brought all the suits and you had to wear yeah. somebody else's stink. The medium, the large, the extra large, the, the same suits like uh, we well, have. Yeah, in the welcome to the life of a tandem student. Correct. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Dude, we had a guy walk in the packing room the other day in a student jumpsuit. That uh, Dude, he could have taken that jumpsuit off and it would have walked out on its own. It had so much stink power to it, man. <laughs> and somebody else wore it that day. So you so uh, uh, did so many jumps during those five six years until two thousand I believe doing this Venezuelan connection book and it was so much fun and so many organizer you know mm-hmm. big organizer we didn't just uh, we didn't just do uh, uh, jumps we did a lot of seminars 
a lot of camps. Yeah. So we learned so much, so much. So I, you know me, I'm I'm always you know uh, paying attention and learning. You know. You're hungry for knowledge. Yes, I was hungry for knowledge, and I I had that tremendous opportunity to to share all those years with these guys. These guys were Petri, the Petri guys was, were there. Uh, uh, Roger Nelson was there one time. My mentor, one of my mentors. I have a lot of jumps with him too. Um, uh, so many, I mean so many. Um, I want to go back, you say P3, and, and a lot of our friends understand the words P3. But P3 is Paris Performance Plus. Correct. And it's a big way camp. And, and if yeah. you want to get into the big way world, by all means, check out P3. Yes. Check them out. And I, they're definitely a cool place. I always say when I do my big way camp, I always recommend them mm -hmm. to participate in P3 camps because definitely that's a win-win uh, experience. Wait a minute. When in your What do you mean in your big way camps? What are you talking about? Well, you know I do my, the big way camp in uh, Spaceland. You know, it's a it's a big way camp in a small scale. If you compare it to P3, P3 is so big. You know, yeah. they've used uh, multiple airplanes. They do 60, uh, 60 ways, one hundred ways, and they maybe they start with forty ways, and then if you do good, you can go and do a participate in a one hundred way. You know, right yeah. away, right the, one event after the other. You, you, so first of all, you uh, say that you do small big way camps, and I, I recently attended your big way camp and kind of mm -hmm. what was the catalyst to this visit, and I'm going to say, yeah, it was small because we started off with 14 ways, mm -hmm. but I would say at the end, that 14 way turned into a 62 way. And I think a lot of my friends would look like me like I'm crazy, and unfortunately, I only got to attend part of the camp. But one of the things that attracted me to what you do is I watched you one day in a big way camp after making the group do whatever size way it was. Mm -hmm. You said, guys, on this next jump, we're only going to do a quadrant of the skydive. Correct. And one of the things that I don't like about big ways is it scares me that I'm around 60 other people. And you taught me that, man, no, you're not around 60 other people. You're only around 14 other people because that's who's in your quadrant. And so we're going to create only a portion of the skydive, and we're going to break off as that portion of the skydive. Correct. So even though there's only 14 of us, and, and we started with those simple 14 ways, you build it to simulate that complex 60 way. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't think it's fair to say it's a small way. I don't think it's fair to say it's a, excuse me, a small big way. I think it's fair to say that you do a great job simulating these big things. Oh, thank you. But I want to try to say it is not as uh, big as uh, Paris, oh, no uh, Petri, you know. Yeah. And uh, I always recommend to people to do these uh, B-way camps, whatever. They have opportunity to do a B-way camp if they decide to participate in mine. Um, I always recommend to do it because it's knowledge. Mm -hmm. It's knowledge, it's things to, to understand, and it's no better, no better feeling to be uh, in the sky with knowledge and with the same knowledge as your uh, uh, friends and skydivers around you. Mm -hmm. And it's no worse feeling no, it, uh, worse feeling than being in the sky with uh, other people that they don't have a clue. One of the best things about the Big Way Camp with you is, as I told you, and I actually told the participants in this, participants in this Big Way Camp, we did a 14-way. Mm. And the last time I'd been on a skydive bigger than that was 2005 mm. with a bunch of staff. Wow. And it was a staff 20-way. And I felt safer <laughs> in a 14-way with the majority. I think myself, Jimmy Rude, 
you and uh, Lee Mack were the only people with more than 200, you know, mm-hmm. more than 300, more than 200, even sometimes 150 jumps. And I felt safer with those really less experienced jumpers because they had the same knowledge as me. They had the same guided discipline. They were learning to execute it. Mm-hmm. But there's no doubt about it, man. That camp, I felt way safer than a load full of instructors in 2005. Also, we have a better mindset today than we did. Yeah. Now, I got a lot of questions for you about the Big Way Camp. And one of the things I told you is I took a bunch of notes during <laughs> that camp because I really want to bring that up. Before we get into that, you've, you've now gone through some color concepts with Roger uh, Ponce de Leon. And, and now where do you go next? What's your next step in the Big Way world? What's up, Nicole Craig? How you doing, girl? Sorry, just saying hi to a friend who just popped in. Uh, okay. So, and Nicole Craig actually was in our big way camp yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. Um, what did you do next after after these color concepts and the Venezuelan well, connection? Well, I have a, a, a like I said, a bunch of jumps. Uh, is a one week event doing forty ways or thirty ways every day, like four or five times during one week every year, once a year, and uh, and in two thousand in July sixteen. 2015, I did my first big white camp. Three years after that, in, two, in 1998, mm-hmm. July 26, okay. up, I participated in the world record. Three years after that, that was first Chicago? white camp, Chicago. That was the Sandys. Yes. That, okay. Yeah. Sandy actually was my captain. Yeah. In the my plane, my quadrant, and um, but when I was looking for that information, it was weird. Three years after my first camp, and yes. I participated in a in a record, and I had you don't believe I had I had at that point like no more than four hundred jumps, but I have a bunch of uh, uh, jumps in you know big ways because I was jumping with these guys, but they try at me. They did a tryout on me when I was jumping in in Iguerote. Uh, one of the guys said, "Hey, we have this uh, world record, but we want you to do a tryout." And Roger Nelson wants to do a tryout for you. And I went to Sea Hills to participate in a 120 way, but I didn't know what was a tryout. What is a tryout? Mm-hmm. So. Then I understood they want to film me. They want to look at me. They want to see how I, I perform everything. So they put, I remember they put Rusty Vest behind me with a camera. Imagine that, at that point with a camera. But I feel like a, I was a police guy be, behind me, like, a, you know, looking or trying to see everything that I was doing. So it was a little bit of pressure from that point, from that point. And... I was there and I did this jump. I always remember this particular jump. I was there and I f- felt that it was in my slot, but it wasn't. I didn't duck and I didn't see the people that's supposed to be in front of me. And when I turn to my left, I see a guy right here and my slot is on the other side. <laughs> and I always tell this this uh, story in my big white camp yeah. because uh, it's, it's, it's important, you know? And I'm going to tell you why. So I, I look, and in a matter of seconds, I, I said, if I don't do anything here, I screw. 
uh, that's this this is finished for me so, so you hadn't docked though at this point I ha right? haven't docked, but I'm I'm there like I thinking this is my my slot but if no no one was there no one from my my group the person I was supposed to dock so I look on my left and I see this guy and I see oh my god there's the guy is over there and I make this crazy decision to went underneath that guy belly you know <laughs> really really fast and I poop right there and I duck and then start people start you know ducking on me and da, 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 da. well I land and I was packing, you know, like, okay, nobody knows that. You know, cha -cha -cha -cha. <laughs> and then I felt this heavy hand on my shoulder, like, oh, my gosh. And it was Roger, Roger Nelson. You know who's Roger Nelson? Yeah, he owns... Uh, he used to jump. It's Skydive Chicago. It's yeah. Chicago. said, Raul, tell me, what happened? And I said my straight answer. Well, let me tell you. I got confused with all the colors. I'm not going to lie to you. That was exactly what happened. And he said, wrong answer. And I said, oh, oh, that's it. And he said to me, okay, do you know everything about reference? I said, no. Reference? Because i never been in a 120 way. i always been in a 40 way or a 30 way. I've never been in something bigger than that. And I was, all of the sudden, I was doing a 120. Because I got, you know, like, a, I wasn't focusing on my sector. I was, you know, like, a overwhelmed because of, of so many people. <laughs> and he said to me, okay, all right, you're not going to do that again. All right? I'm going to give you another opportunity. But we're going to sit down. We're going to talk about references that you have to follow. And Roger was the one who showed me how to use references in a, in a big way. And from that moment to the end of the, I use it and perfect. And after the event, I was having breakfast in the hotel, ready to go to my, to the uh, airport. And he was having breakfast in the same hotel. And he approached, he said, Raul, good morning. How are you? Hey, how are you? And he gave me this card with the invitation for the world record. Oh shit! How did that feel? Oh my gosh! It was it was the world. It means the world to me. Now, a couple things. First of all, Roger Nelson, man, absolutely a pioneer is, in what uh, we do. From from that moment and and before, we became really friends, really yeah. good friends. And he was a mentor. He showed me, he teach me so many things. You know, man. One of the things that, that people might not know about Roger, Roger started and founded Skydive Chicago. Um, check out the book Sugar Alpha. It's a really, really cool story written uh, partially by him, but really by his daughter, Melissa Nelson. And it shares his story. But Roger is a pioneer, not just in the big way world, but the modern way of us training students. Uh, putting students on modern canopies used to be considered crazy. I, I absolutely ridiculous and now more and more schools are doing what Spaceland does what Roger Nelson has done yeah. uh, Spaceland as much as we talk about our school and love our school the STP program it was modeled much after Roger Nelson's AFP program so by far a pioneer but what I want to know about Roger here is he shared referencing with you 
he shared something that opened your eyes. Mm-hmm. Explain how and what he said to you to some of our newer jumpers to maybe share some of that of what he would say, spread the love. And mm-hmm. that's something that Roger was really well known for saying, spread mm-hmm. that love. Yeah. Spread some of his love. Well, he said that use the reference and say, what's the reference? Well, use one person in the, in the base, memorize that color, so you know where you're going to be according to that person. Use another person, maybe uh, close to you, so you know exactly where you're going. Maybe another one in, in, the, in an angle or whatever. So you triangle yourself. Mm-hmm. You know exactly where you are. But never, never follow just one person. Yeah. Because if you follow one person or one color, you memorize one color, if that person is lost, you're going to be lost. Man, it's uh, t- right now I'm working with uh, the United States Marine Corps, and we're doing canopy coaching, and, and I'm working with a group that's a special forces group. The special forces group is taught land as a unit, land together. Mm-hmm. And yesterday morning, one guy starts going to a bad place. You know, we have a little bit higher winds. They're all in a good holding area. And one guy's like, no, 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 I want to go over here. And DQ says, hey, man, as long as they don't all follow the wrong guy, they'll all be okay. <laughs> Those guys only had one reference. And guess what they all did? Follow the wrong guy. <laughs> follow the wrong guy. And that's one of the things that I enjoyed because at 8,000 jumps, I think I have a good idea of sight picture. I think I have a good idea of referencing. And what you're saying makes fundamental idea or sense to me. But as we did your big way camp, I very focused. I, and actually, I think you might have had fun because as we dirt dove, you had a very good visual of me. And I don't know if you noticed, but when I was walking, I was referencing three points. I was referencing actually four points. I was referencing who I was coming to. Jeff, and he had that wonderfully bright suit. Thank you, Jeff Goy. That was nice. Um, I was referencing somebody to my left in an approach who was on a very similar approach to me. So it's somebody who was coming in about the same time as me. I was referencing you because I could see your face, and I knew I needed that. And then my clone, Lee Mac, was, uh, w- as I got closer, I would only reference him within mm-hmm. that final approach zone. Mm-hmm. And it made sense to me before you said it, but as you described each point and gave suggestions, you didn't tell me which points to use. You didn't tell any of us. You gave us suggestions of ideas, man. It made my life so much easier. And as we walk the skydive, walk your references as if you are in the sky. And you were very emphatic about that. And I think that's part of what changed my approach to big ways. So so the love Roger has shared with you is, is love that... Gosh, man, 21 years in the sport. I've been on, uh, I've, I've been on 36 ways. I've shot video of 60 ways, and man, you you opened my eyes to something that I already understood. Yeah. So definitely don't take these words lightly. Yeah. Rogers now said, "Here you go, brother. Welcome." <laughs> and that was your invite to the 259 way. It was a 300. Okay, and that it was three as 300 way. And it was a 300, and they start cutting people because they were doing bad, I guess. And I was, they were getting close to me, and people close to me, they were being caught. And I said, oh, my gosh, they're getting close to me. <laughs> and I survived. <laughs> I did it. Now, that was interesting because that, I believe. Uh, actually, I, we, sorry to interrupt no, you. We did a 259, a 257, 259. Uh, say 257 or 259, one of, one of those. Yeah. And we, we hold it for two seconds and something. At that point, we had to... Hold it for three seconds in order to be a record. And we hold it for two seconds and something, and so Mm -hmm. it was not a record, but it was my biggest formation. And then they start calling more people, and definitely, finally, we did a 246, Mm -hmm. and we hold it for seven point something. 
that is probably one of my not probably that's one of my first grand memories of skydiving. I started in 1997, and first of all, they just finished this 240 something way. I believe that was the first attempt at 300 way. What, uh, do you remember if that's true or not? I think it was, yes. So that obviously was a very big deal in the sport. And I remember them telling us, man, they're not going to build a 300 way. They tried, they tried. And at that time, one of the utmost leaders in big way skydiving also happened to be a female named Sandy Wambach. Correct. And, and the two things that I learned very early on in skydiving is the dangers but the beauty of Big Way, but also Sandy did everything right. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, she was taken out on a skydive. Mm-hmm. The discipline you have to have, the discipline you need to know is super important because it's not just your own life you're risking. You said it. We have to trust each other as a team. Correct. Now, you've done this 247. I think that was it, right? Mm-hmm. 247 way. What's your next step? What, what did you do next in the Big Way world? Well, at, after that, I returned to Venezuela, like, you know, I'm starting organizing there with my my friends. At the beginning, it was small, you know, five ways, six ways, ten ways, Mm -hmm. you know, everything that we could do. I ended, you know, like um, um, 2000, we did uh, 80 uh, 80 away in uh, Barcelona, Venezuela. And uh, we have a, a... stayed um, a city called Barcelona in Venezuela. And uh, it's a bunch of guys, also Roger participating in that 80-way, 80, 80 uh, Kate Cooper, all these guys. And uh, beautiful, but beautiful, beautiful formation. It was clean, it was solid, it was nice. Actually, with the color of the Venezuelan uh, flag. Nice. And uh, I was amazing, from the C-130. And it was was beautiful, beautiful. Have you ever all all people from the one plane? Oh yeah, that's awesome for sure. Do you remember how many, uh, which size C one thirty it is? Because there's a couple different capacities. I think the larger one can hold about a hundred and thirty, hundred forty people. Smaller one, yeah, still holds uh, close to a hundred people on there. Yeah, yeah. Have you jumped a C one thirty ever? No, I wish. Oh my (laughs) god, dude. The most amazing thing ever. (laughs) It is crazy. Flying around inside of a football field. (laughs) No doubt, dude. We had a hundred and some odd skydivers in a C-130 at Rantoul, Illinois, the World Freefall Convention. Absolute blast. And uh, you probably don't know many of of any of these names, but the Muff Brothers, the Rodriguez Brothers, and the Flying Hellfish are all in one fucking airplane. You talk about some of the crudest skydivers in the world with some of the crudest fucking jokes. A hundred skydivers plus in an airplane yelling... Hey, asshole, everybody yells what? Sound off. One, while the whole plane flips each other off. <laughs> uh, who are the Rodriguez brothers? Fuck the Rodriguez brothers. Who is Invisible Rodriguez? Fuck Invisible Rodriguez. By the way, I'm Invisible Rodriguez. Who is Diamante Rodriguez? A good buddy of mine, Jim Benton. Fuck Diamante Rodriguez. So really, not dead clubs, but my God, that it was a party atmosphere in those days. So you've done these 80 ways now in Venezuela in the color of the Venezuelan flag. Yeah. Um, set a national record doing that. That was a national, the biggest formation ever flown in Venezuela. And uh, in the meantime, also I was doing the uh, kaleidoscope dives in the land. Beautiful jumps. With BJ Worth as a, the chief and the leader. He's and world uh, team, right? Yeah, world team. Because you really got world P3 team. and world team are yes. two, two camps. Well, at the beginning they were all together. 
because Kate and Tom and uh, uh, all all of them they were working with DJ mm -hmm. and uh, then you know what happened it's a politics split. yeah whatever bullshit right and um, well they keep uh, going to be, to Kaleidoscope they were really really nice uh, uh, dives like. All, always uh, more than 100 or 150, mm -hmm. 187 one, one time. Then we did one day or uh, one time we did uh, two 100s, like a back-to-back. -back. Okay. Uh, different groups. So 200 people, but doing 100 and 100, something like that. Okay, so not the same group back-to-back. -back. Yeah, one group no. lands, the other group goes yeah, back to well, like, It turns out like a competition between one and the other, you know. Badass. Yeah. And, um, you know, a couple of things like that. And then uh, I end flying. Well, I was at that point, I was living in Venezuela. I was flying a lot. I was doing at least f uh, five, uh, how do you say, travels, uh, five uh, trips. Trips, sorry. Five trips to do skydive outside the country with my wife because my wife at that point used to, she used to skydive too. And we were doing all this. Uh, almost pretty much together. She stopped when she we had our first uh, daughter. That was in 2000. And, uh, well, uh, you know, uh, South America, Ecuador. You got an 18-year-old daughter? Oh, yeah. You poor, poor man. You. <laughs> oh, my God. She's, she's awesome. She's wonderful young lady, man. She's Your awesome. family's beautiful. Yeah. I just I, couldn't I, imagine I an having an 18-year-old girl. 18 and a 12. Dude, the, my the bo both of them drive me crazy in a good way <laughs> <laughs> and in a bad way. <laughs> no, <laughs> yet. <laughs> my uh, Valerie's niece, so uh, an extension, my niece just turned eighteen, and she's an absolutely wonderful young lady. Uh, that whole family, the Jacks family, are wonderful people. But man, could you imagine having an eighteen-year-old girl with creeps like you running around? Man, Nick? so much anxiety. Because <laughs> I would recognize it in another guy. You're like, you know what, man? I'm the same sort of pile of shit as you. Leave her alone. <laughs> Stay I, away from that van. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have friends just like you. As a matter of fact, some of our friends are 18, 19 years old. So uh, the guys we work with. So your wife stops jumping. Right, so you slow down traveling at that point? Um, yes, a little bit. I was doing a lot of things in, you know, uh, jumping in Venezuela. But I, st I keep travel. I keep traveling, jumping. And went to Eloy, do 100 diamonds or, you know. Those are gorgeous. Those are diamonds. Yeah. It wasn't complete, but it, we were trying. Yeah. And I uh, went to Ecuador to jump with a DJ, another C-130 with Tom. And uh, I went to Paraguay like three times doing the Paraguayan record. Uh, and here, a lot of states doing some records here in the States. Um, I've been around, never in Europe, but uh, Latin America and uh, Brazil also. And, uh, and a lot of here in Virginia. One of the more interesting state records that I believe you hold, and for me it's interesting, is you're also a participant in the Texas state records. Yeah, correct. And I'm very thankful for the Texas state records, partially because it's been beautiful to watch some of those things at our drop zone, but that's what brought you to Spaceland the first time. Is that correct? Correct. I think, I think it was in 2007. Oh, I couldn't do the years, man. There, we've had multiple TSR events, yeah, so I couldn't yeah. tell you which one. 
And I think you might have come back for at least one or two more. And yeah, eventually yeah. Mm-hmm. it was like, why am I just visiting this place? You eventually lock in and come here, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what is the Texas State record? What's the biggest A formation and then sequential formation? Uh, the in, in Texas, yes, sir. it was uh, 160A. Six, the, yeah. yeah, 160A. Before it was 150. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's in, in Texas. That was in 2011. And I want to say, didn't wasn't there something like a hundred and fifty way sequential at some point here, or, or something close to that? I don't recall. And for for those of you listening, doesn't understand the term sequential. That means multiple points. Yes. So going out and building a hundred way is really impressive. Now make a second formation out of that same hundred way. That's sick. Well, in '98, in February '98, in Sea Hills, we did one hundred and eighteen two points. And that's. One of the earliest big yeah. way sequentials. Yeah. yeah. Now they're doing 200 and two, three points, something like that, 200 and something. And, uh, but they are different way to uh, see it now. I don't know if it's uh, the biggest the group or the points that they're doing now. Uh, they're trying to see how they are going to measure that because you can put, an, they're not putting just one more person. And then another point, and that's it. It, Trying to measure it in a different way. Yeah, it's weird the way that they measure the sequential records. That if you have 33 people that do a three-point skydive, Uh then you can kind of beat that record out by doing 34 people and doing doing two points. Okay, I see Mm -hmm. what you're saying. Mm -hmm. So the number of points doesn't necessarily set the record, the number of people. Yeah, it's an odd combination of the two of those things. Because to me, a 33-way three-point is more impressive than a 34-way two-point. Yeah. Agreed. But then the other one might be a record. Yeah. So I want to go back to that Texas idea for one second, man. It's been many years since we've had a TSR, or Texas State record, mm-hmm. which we used to have several of them. And you've mentioned more than one time than I have, I have one. Sorry, they, let me interrupt you. I have one, the last one. The first one was interesting because uh, the first one that I participated it was the 150 I was in the. I was invited to participate, but I was at the at the in the bench, and Scott Latinis was organizing the bench. And this was the first time that I I met uh, Scott, and we were doing eighteen ways, uh, nice, beautiful. You know, we were having fun, and I saw some people, you know, getting to the first time to get to the to in the the bench, and then boom, right there, go to the formation. What's going on here, you know? At the end, they built the formation, 150, and they still have one more day or two more days, and they wanted to do a, a sequential or, or bigger, or the sequential. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said to Scott, Scott, do you think they're going to need me or not? I just want to stop thinking that I'm going to participate. I don't know. I'm going to ask Roger uh, Ponce de Leon. He was at Coptampton. Yes, we need Raul because... It's another guy who was uh, doing a lot of mistakes. And uh, he asked me, can you do this and this and this? Said, yeah, yeah, I'll be, I'll be there. And we get we, went, we get to jump and we did another 150. And uh, we didn't get to do the second point. And we do it like one or two times and then it started raining and or windy or something like that. And we couldn't it jump It rains in Texas? I don't know. Look outside. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Man, so 
I've got quite a few interesting questions about big ways, but it's been it's been years now since we've had TSR in Texas. Yeah. You mentioned the name Tom quite a few times, and Tom is Tom Jenkins. Tom Jenkins. Tom Jenkins is, first of all, he actually at some point, I don't know if it's an official record, but I believe it might be, has competed in the most USPA nationals, not only by number, but also consecutively. Yeah. Tom Jenkins is one of the captains of Big Ways. Tom Jenkins participates in Big Ways all over the country. As much as he was an icon here in Texas, a lot of our local Texans haven't got to know him in the last five, ten years before his passing because he was traveling so much. He was an icon in the world. Absolutely. And one of the rumors I heard is Tom was looking at and considering setting up another TSR in the near future. Correct. What do you know about that? A lot. <laughs> a lot. So when you say a lot, man, I, I he really... He was telling me all that, that he wanted to do. He got, he got some design, everything uh, of the job. And uh, the only thing that he was trying to see is where. Because Spaceland was kind of small. Mm -hmm. But at the end, he, he was trying to do it there, trying mm -hmm. to see if the people can land it. And the outside and the, you know fields get the sectors yeah but it was not not quite there yet but he was his mind was there because uh, he wanted to do another one as impressive as Tom was with skill and he definitely has a skill to pay the bills his mind and engineering and putting together these was another thing yeah. but then also his ability to bring people together yeah. was probably his strongest suit. And that's a compliment knowing everything else Tom can do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, man, I really miss the idea of TSRs. Do you think anybody else is going to pick up that torch? And, and honestly, man, what better way to honor and pay tribute to Tom than to have one of our friends, well-respected, well-known, multiple record holder guys. I think you're getting guilt-tripped into doing the Texas State <laughs> well, record. Well, there's quite no. a few of our friends who are like this, <laughs> no. though, because we've got quite a few friends beside you. Yeah, no, 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 yeah, me yeah. definitely, but we have a... Maybe someone like Scott. That, that's exactly another person I'm thinking yeah. about. Or maybe, and really, man, this is how much Tom meant to the community or how capable he was. Maybe a team of individuals coming together to work as a unit to make this happen. Correct. Do you know, is that a goal we're still, we still have here in, in the Texas area? I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, after what happened to Tom, everything went like, a, you know, like a quiet, you know, nobody talks about it. Uh, because he was the one who was, you know... He was the man. He was the man. Yeah. And, uh, but definitely that, that sounds like a really good idea. And I was thinking about that, but I think it's too early to, <laughs> you know, to put it there. But definitely I would love to participate on, on one of those. I definitely don't think it's too early to plant the seed. I don't think it's too early to start putting minds together and start thinking about it. Yeah. Definitely not my place, not my position, yeah. because you know my big way experience is very <laughs> limited. Man, I would really encourage you to talk to some of these other leaders you know mm -hmm. because sometimes the best organizer isn't the guy who puts the jumps together. He's the guy who puts the leaders together. Yeah. And we need somebody local, regular, full-time to the Houston area who can bring these leaders together to organize the leaders mm -hmm. who can organize a skydive. Yeah. So, man, I really do hope that you can reach out to some of these friends. 
in time. Yep. And I do want to mention briefly for our, our friends listening, Tom Jenkins, we, we talk about this great man. He passed away in health condition. He passed away in life. Um, it was not a skydiving event. Tom was a very successful skydiver and a very uh, robust skydiver. He's been through a lot. So uh, as, as much as we miss Tom, it was through life we miss Tom, not through skydiving. We miss this wonderful man. Yeah. So we've got a little background. We've got a little bit of color of where you've come from when it comes to the big way world. And I want to talk a little bit about what I can do or what Justin or any of our other friends can do to get to the big way world. And part of it is I want to ask about big way camps and and discipline, teamwork, other really cool words. But I want to take one quick second, man. And I've, I've got to thank a lot of our friends and a lot of our family who make Gravity Lab possible. Um, the good guys, the good guys detailing, uh, they're based out of Austin, Texas. The good guys is owned by a, a buddy of ours, Andreas. Andreas has done a great job, man. They do mobile detailing. They'll come out, they'll clean, they'll wash, they'll wax your car, whether it's just basic detailing or whether you want a full cleanup, full washed up job, you want a protective coating, they do it all. You can find the good guys detail TX on Facebook. That's really their name, the good guys detail TX. Uh, look up the Good Guys Detail Texas on uh, the interwebs, and Justin will have some of those links here on the uh, Facebook feed. And we'll also have them in the show notes. So if you look on your phone right now in our show notes, you'll see some links to some of these things. You can hit up Andreas at 512-749-9087. Uh, check him out. Justin, you recently had some work done by him, right? Yes, I did. Man, I uh, actually, he, he comes in town every so often, and I'll be in San, in, in uh, San Marcos in the end of the month. And I plan on hitting him up like, yo, bro, why don't you bring your little mobile setup? Why don't you come wash my car, polish it? Because I am a lazy motherfucker. I don't know if lazy is the right word. I'm just a little too busy to wash my car. So you can get our buddy Andres to come out, wash your car where you're at, whether it's at your home, whether it's your work, whether it's your job. Check them out. If you're doing a major job, you know, when you're doing the ceramic coat, paint protection, uh, uh, things like that, if you're a USPA member or mention Gravity Lab Radio, he'll knock 10% off of the price for it. So, just anything you want to share about that time with him? Oh, just, um, you know, I bought my vehicle new, and I was surprised to see uh, how many swirls and things were there and how much of a difference it made, um, you know, having him correct those minor defects and uh and then the ceramic coating added a whole nother dimension of paint to it it's just and it's lasted very well the rain everything just beads right off of it it's great Dude, it's like you got rain x on the entire car with that thing man oh, it's, yeah. it's unbelievable Give them a ch- uh, give them a holler. Check them out. Actually, if you've jumped at Skydive San Marcos recently, they had the all you can jump boogie or the ninety nine dollar jump your did, ass off. They thing. washed the plane. Andreas washed and detailed and cleaned up that plane. A for that boogie and B. Do you know what else they're doing with that plane? Oh, please tell me. Ah, they're handing it over with the keys to the entire place to Skydive Spaceland. Skydive Spaceland San Marcos is opening up very, very soon. 14th, right? Uh, 14th is, is, yeah. So 14th is when we're doing the key thing. Uh, A few of us are going over there and hanging out uh, that afternoon, evening with the staff and having a little thank you party, a little going away for the the previous owner. And the 15th, (laughs) September 15th, will be Skydive Spaceland San Marcos. It'll be official at that point. And uh, along with Skydive Spaceland San Marcos, do you know who else is going there? Susan? The, dude, I'm going to miss that woman. Man, Susan is one of the most beautiful faces and voices I have met. I, I started a fight with her 
about her leaving today. That's why it's in my brain. Yeah, dude. I, I, I went and talked to her a little bit today, and I'm going to miss her. But actually, the rating center, we're actually expanding with Skydive Spaceland. So the rating center, uh, the rating center originally here in Houston. We also have the rating center Dallas. And we're also going to be the rating center San Marcos. For now, my boys, my crew, we've got Chris Vidala, Hank, Aaron. Aaron, dude, you know Aaron just finished her USPA tandem examiner? So if you want a USPA... Female tandem examiner. Uh, I love her. She's Not a many of those. freaking badass. Yeah. Uh, the rating center, we're actually going to be able to... Initially, we're just going to travel as examiners to San Marcos. It's only a couple hours away. Canopy courses, coach courses, AFF courses, tandem courses. We're going to do them all there. But Aaron gives us diversity, man. Erin came up to me uh, when she first moved here. She walked up to me and she's like, hey, DJ, um, my family back in Mexico, and when I, she says her family, her father, but just her family of Mexican skydivers, we really need a good examiner there. You don't speak Spanish, do you? And Raul knows the answer to that. I don't speak Spanish at all, man. Um, I like to fake it, but that's about it. I'm like, Erin, I, really, I, I don't speak Spanish. DJ, do you know a good Spanish-speaking examiner? I'm like, Aaron, I know some good examiners. I know some good Spanish-speaking examiners. But what you're telling me is you want somebody who's very passionate about skydiving, very passionate about tandem skydiving, very passionate about the Latin people who can share their knowledge and grow the future of tandem skydiving? Yes. Aaron, do you know anybody who's like that? No, is her answer. Raul, why do you make those eyes? Because who do you know like that? Aaron did a man. Aaron is the wonderful lady. So through that conversation, we just discussed what it would take to her, become, her to become a tandem examiner. Recently, she finished her UPT, Sigma Tandem Examiner, and just this past week or last week, she finished her USPA Tandem Examiner. So now we're offering tandem courses in Spanish. She's going to be able to travel to Venezuela, to Mexico, to all these South American countries and teach tandem courses. We actually right now are communicating with a gentleman who's coming here to do his tandem course in Spanish. And now we're working on offering tandem courses, or excuse me, coach courses in Spanish as well. It'll be maybe another year before we can get all our, all our qualifications up. But uh, as the rating center goes, man, we're really expanding our brand and trying to take it to the next level. So uh, I, I will toot the company horn a little bit. I am the owner, so it's a little bit of a toot. But at the same time, the rating center has really paid for everything we have for Gravity Lab. They're our initial sponsor, so I've sponsored my own podcast that's that sounds a little bit weird but uh the ratingcenter.com check it out you can find us on facebook the ratings center ratings with an s and uh, give us a holler you want to coach course tandem course aff course we do things in houston dallas and san marcos regularly if you need us to travel my boy hank and y'all have heard hank pruitt on the show before he is willing and ready to travel and come check it out so check out the rating center Give us a holler. You need anything, info at theratingcenter.com. We'll do whatever we can to help you guys out. Uh, anything from uh, courses to consulting, school consulting, business consulting. We do a little bit of it all, man. Raul, back to your – did you have anything else, Nick? Uh, no, I was going to ask a bit more about those those Marines today that you touched on. Oh, man. Um So what, one of the things is I've been working with a group of Marines. And I, I, was, I was curious. I was asked today – how did you come to be uh, coaching this group of Marines, this, this military group? Um, really simple. I, I had a Marine, a, a, at the time a uh, staff sergeant in the United States Marine Corps, uh, Steve Allen, approached me and said, I want to train to become a coach examiner. I don't train examiners. I'm very capable of it. I can do it. But I have enough of my own things going on. I only train examiners for the rating center, such as Aaron, such as Chris Fudala. 
And uh, but Steve said all the right words. He told me what his goals were, what his desires were. Told what you his you were passion pretty, didn't he? He told me I had nice lips. <laughs> and with those nice lips, man, everything he said, I'm like, man, ay, yeah, 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 ay, caramba. <laughs> he, he, uh, he, he said all the right things. And I'm like, man, you really have a passion to spread the love. Kind of what you talked about, Raul, the passion of giving and spreading back. And I'm like, you know what? I can't say no to this guy. Come on out. Of course, the Marine Corps is paying me to train him as a coach examiner. So it definitely doesn't hurt. But man, no, you've got the right things. Let's train you. Let's get this figured out. And through a couple courses together, he said, man, DJ, I like your brand. I like your style. I like the way you speak to people, which, man, I drugged him before he convinced all this. I got him a little booze, a little roofie, got him convinced. And uh, he said, can you train my Marines? And, and so I started training Marines from 4th Recon to become USPA coaches. And, and during that process, he's like, man, all this canopy stuff we talk about in the coach course, can we do canopy coaching with you guys? Absolutely. So through this process, uh, a guy, uh, Sean Ibarra and then and Steve Allen have worked with me and we've done uh, put together bids, contracts, all the government things you've got to do. And I've put together a 15 jump package for these Marines, 4th Recon. Very interesting because it's, the word is 4th? 4th. The number 4, T-H. So when you have... Uh, I, I've heard it before as Force Recon in my brain. I guess it was just a misunderstanding. Well, no. Force Recon is something else. Is it? Okay. Yeah. So if you think of Navy SEALs, Navy SEALs are special forces for the Navy, right? Mm -hmm. First, second, third Recon for the Marine Corps, they're special forces. They're basically your Navy SEALs of the Marine Corps. Fourth Recon is the reserve unit for first, second, and third Recon. So you have basically reservist special forces guys. Now, today you saw eight guys... Five of them are active duty 4th Recon. They run the unit, and then and, and they're from Atlanta. They're from all sorts of places. And then three of the guys are reservists, and, and one of them is actually coming up active. So said and done, six are. So what they do is they actually fly, unlike most, most military, ram air parachutes. Most military, round parachutes, you can't steer it because you don't have the discipline. You must land together, and the only way we can encourage it is to land round parachutes. But these special forces guys, not just fourth recon, but, but other uh, branches, have the discipline to land as a unit. So they open, they have a leader, everybody follows the leader and lands in the same place so they can attack, kill, sneak in, do whatever stealthy ninja thing they got to do as a unit. They do a good job of it, but they want it a little bit more and take it to the next level. So yesterday, today, we've been working all on individual skill sets. Tomorrow, we're going to pair them up in pairs, pair them up in pairs, redundant, and they're going to start flying in groups together, two at a time, flying from 13,000 feet all the way down, doing exercises, drills, rotation, switching places, using the skills they learned in the last two days. Once those pairings go well, then, and, and not all of them will, build, be, will go as well as we want because we have a range of 35 jumps as the youngest fourth recon guy we have to a couple few hundred jumps. So some of them will stay in pairs. And some will get teamed up in groups of four and eventually a group of six. And, and they'll fly in a unit together from opening. They're going to get in an order. They're going to rotate who's wearing that order. They're going to get an assignment at some point to say, you need to make a tactical decision based off the stack is what we call it. Because that's, you know, think of them stacked in the sky. Kind of like tandems, we stack, right? Mm -hmm. Look at the stack you have in front of you. You need to make a tactical decision on what position you're in. And is it better for you guys to make a rotation? And you're going to have to communicate only through body language, no comms, which they might have in their insertions, but they're not going to have tomorrow. So they're learning to read skydivers, read parachutes. And the thing that amazes me, dude, we got three guys in this group with 35 jumps. And their ability to fly as a group, to fly as a unit and fly a pattern, 
you skydivers can learn something about discipline from these Marines. So that's kind of what we've been doing the last couple of days. And, dude, I grew up the son of a Marine. My first job was Marine Corps Mess Hall. I feel at home with these motherfuckers. Is there that's anything good. I can say to these Marines to fuck with them? Call them sellers. Call them Navy. Yeah, yeah. fucking squids. <laughs> yeah. So the Marine Corps is a department of the Navy. <laughs> right. Yeah. And usually if you tell a Marine that, they'll go, yeah, the men's department. And n- not a joke at all. You'll hear those things. Yeah, the guy that works for me says that. <laughs> yeah. Um, go line in front of them and say, go Navy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> DQ, DQ asked me yesterday because he was putting a post on Instagram. How do you spell Marines? He was making sure M-A-R-I-N-E-S. Do you know what Marines stands for? My ass rides in Navy equipment, sir. Because they all ride in Navy boats. And the Marines will tell you that. It's not a joke. So um, all sorts of fun little things. But you can't really give them shit because... Because they're Marines. Yeah. If you if you hang out with them and me in a group, you're going to go, you got your sense of humor from the fucking Marine Corps, didn't you? My whole life until I was... Dude, almost till I was a skydiver because I worked for the military most of my civilian life as a contractor. I, I thought about walking up and yelling some lines from Full Metal Jacket. I thought that might go over well. Dude, I think you'd have a good time with them. <laughs> They're such a fucking good group of guys, man. Absolutely love them. All right. So, Raul, I had a, a question brewing in my mind as we were going here. So, I've been on uh, some big ways. The 60 is the biggest I've been on. So, nothing, not, not quite like what you're It's, it's a big it's, way. It's free flying. Yeah. So... There's a cool thing about just making one big single point skydive, right? Of like, oh, this is the most people we can get together, right? And then you you take some some of those people and let's say we do a 16 way and now we get to do, you know, six or seven points. And to me, I think that that's a lot more fun doing a smaller big way where things move and you think more and you have more of a job other than getting to your slot. So for you, what's like if you were going to do your most favorite version of many people on a skydive, how many people would there be? What, what sort of stuff would you do? 16 or 20. How many, like, in a group, let's say it's everybody's got a similar skill set to you, a 16-way, how many points do you get, would you expect to get on a jump? It depends. Uh, I have a 16-way a, a team. We call it Mafia Latina. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've seen the shirts. Yeah, yeah. It's a group of uh, Latin guys all over Latin America, and we get together uh, sometimes uh, once or twice a year. Did you guys win this last uh, friendly competition? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's uh, a cool name. (laughs) Yeah. If I wear my hat like this, can I be on the group next time? (laughs) (laughs) When in a good good job with a 16 ways, uh, seven points. Or you know, eight points. So it's a good, good jump. Normally we do five, or four, or six. It's a good average, but it's it's way more fun. Is you know because it's you know it's, a, it's petite, it's, it's a small version of a big way, and uh, you you get together, you are all together, you go have dinner together. You know, it's, it's a team. It's a small team. A big way is different. It's a big way. Let's see a one hundred. Uh, you just have to do one or two or three points maximum or whatever. Now they're doing four or five points in one one jump. But let's see this. They're going to just work for one point. It's okay. Your goal is just to get there and make that happen, you know? So uh, uh, for me, before, I would say, no, big ways. Big ways. Big ways and that's it. Now, I've been changing now. And for me, it's more... Uh, fun to do uh, uh, teams at like 16 or 20 ways, something like that. So when we're doing big ways, um, when I think about it, I think about the, the biggest pieces as the base and floaters and divers. 
Mm-hmm. Can you can you maybe talk about how that applies in a in a big like for someone that doesn't know very much about big wave flying? Maybe talk about what those jobs are like. Well, normally you put it like this: uh, you have a base. That base could be a six way or eight way or four way. Or sometimes when you do a two hundred way, the base could be up to thirty people or fifty people, uh, sixty way people, and then around is the all the rings around that are the rest of the people. And um, you have pods around that get connected to the base. But once you're connected to the base, you become the base, too. So you have to keep flying the, the formation. Mm. But let's just say I'm, I'm a super floater on our big way. What does that mean for someone who knows super nothing Super floater it? is a person who jumps first just by itself. It's a signal for to all the other planes or the other pers- uh, people in other planes to know when they're supposed to be jumping. Some jumps, it depends how big is the, the, the formation. A super floor means you guys go and these guys still have to wait for the base to jump. A super, super floater, there's another one, <laughs> all right? Super they, duper. Yeah, we, when you used to do the, use the DC3, which is way behind the trail. Oh, yeah. The last one, when the super, super floater jumps, that's when these guys start jumping. So uh, it's, it's different. This is a, a signal, like from these guys to start jumping. And so, as a floater, what what does that mean? Like, I get out. What's my what's my job? Your job is to keep looking at the base, keep looking where you should be going. You have to go to your stadium uh, to go a little bit uh, above the formation and start getting slower. But I left before you, right? So I'm yeah. really trying. You have to go track up, try to be on top of the the base, and then start coming down and. Uh, easy uh, getting to the formation. In my big way uh, seminar, I will explain everything with details, you know, how to approach, how to dog, um, how to get to the formation, how to exit the airplane, how to behave, um, um, uh, how to track, how to fly the formation, how to track, how to fly your canopy, how to be aware of everything that's going on. So there's three main things that you have to be, you, you have to have in order to do big ways. The first one is to have discipline. Discipline all, all, all over. The second one is commitment. You have to commit. If you don't commit, you're not belong to a big way. You're not part of the team, right? And the third one is the skills, knowledge, skills. that You have to apply, put everything that you got there, you know? And if you have those three, you can, you can say, okay, I can participate in a big way. If you want to have, to have those three, you can participate in my big way cap and I explain everything in detail, how to, how to get those and how to understand how to use those in a big way. So what's your favorite uh, slot to fly in a big way? Do you like being a floater? Do you like being a diver? you want to be in the base? It depends like- on the formation. I'm I'm considered a better medium diver because I can get there fast and still be kind of part of the base, you know, help the base to to fly. I, I like that position, but I also like to be in the base when I'm organizing. I'm the base. I would like to lead my, you know, to to fly my my thing. And uh, but sometimes when it's a lot of, uh, for, uh, it's a big way. Uh, like a 100, it's so nice to be a floater because when you exit one airplane, you see all these guys oh. getting out and you see all that picture. Although you have to be focused on your base, 
on your or your slab, but you can see peripheric with a peripheral peripheral vision. You can see all these guys coming together. It's such a nice. And then in your mind, view. you hear that song. It's raining. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect, man. I never thought about that. So almost everything I've done in larger ways, and and I agree, somewhere around the ten way range to me is is a big way skydive. I've always been put into a medium or late diver position. So I've actually never been in that floater position. Oh, my God. It's so fucking cool, man. Such a cool visual. Next time uh. we jump, next time I join you guys, I want to explore different yeah. positions. I want to try it all. Yeah. But I definitely, now with that, well, even though we're a smaller group, I, I got to float now, dude. I got to check this out. You would have stayed for to the next day. You would uh, you would be on a, on a floater position because that's what I do. I try to make everybody to switch position yeah. in order to do, to practice every single position. But the goal is to be uh, versatile. Yes, to sir. do whatever you can. Uh, I mean, if I say, I need a floater, and you can say, I can do that. Yeah. I need a medium diver. I can do that. I need someone in the base. I can do that. You know? One of the things that stu- stood out to me during the Big Way Camp with you is you were asking people what they wanted to do or what they needed to do or, or whatever. And I, I never volunteered for anything because at this point I thought of myself as a utility player. Whatever you need me to do is what I'll do. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm going to a big way camp and it's in a reasonable size, a size that I can work with. I very well, and I really, if you would have asked me what position and you gave me a choice, I would have said floater. Plain and simple because I've never done it. And when you're in these smaller camps of any type, I don't care if it's big way, free fly, angle, it doesn't matter. People always want in, to, in camps to be in their strongest spot. What do you think about being in your weakest slot in a camp? At the beginning, you know, when you go to a camp, you have to put your mind in a way that you're, you're going there just to learn, not to compete. Mm-hmm. So you have to eliminate the pressure. That yeah, everybody's watching me and, you know, I'm going to make mistakes. Yes, you're going to make mistakes. I'm expecting you to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. If you make mistakes, we're going to correct it and you're going to learn from those mistakes. All right? But if you jump and they see that you are a good floater, and your first jump, you want to be a floater, that's good because that's going to, like, a, you know, uh, eliminate the dust and you get some air and you did a good job and then you can switch. Right. So really start in your strong slot, number one, to give yourself the confidence you need Correct. to perform. Yes. But at the same time, be ready to work on those other things. And because it's different the same after the seminar, you're gonna see everything different. Yeah. Because of all the information that you just got, you're gonna apply it on your first jump. And you're gonna it's not gonna be the same DJ, you're not gonna be the same guy right. before the the big wake up and after the big wake up, the seminar. It's going to be, everything is going to be different. So it's so, so good. I mean, when I did my first camp, for me, my entire skydive uh, point of view or whatever mm-hmm. changed completely. So that's what I'm trying to, to teach people, to, to, to make people understand that if we all have the same knowledge, if we all have the same information and we apply this in the same group, in the same jump, we're going to have a wonderful skydive and we're going to be safe. And that's the ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. And try to repeat that again and again and again and again. There's no doubt in the camp I was with you in, not all of our friends performed as well as they would have liked to. And, and that's okay. And some of them performed 
poorly enough that they weren't in necessarily an optimally safe position. Mm -hmm. But said and done, the majority of it was all executed very safely because you said they had the right mindset, the right idea, the same plans. And and I want to kind of go back to my notes here of, of the Big Way Camp. One of the things you say is discipline, commitment, and skills. Those are the first three things you talked about. No different things. And one of the things that you talked about knowing is the policies of this organizer, policies of this camp. Because every organizer has a different approach. Just because you've done it before, just because you know it, just because you understand it, doesn't mean everybody's doing the same thing you understand. So it's, it's extremely important is what you taught us is to know what's going on around you. So we're all thinking the same thing. Correct. Correct. That's it. That's discipline. That's being quiet, be aware, understand what they're talking about, and try not to, you know, to... Uh, that's discipline, you know? Did you see anyone talk during one of Raul's dirt dives? Yes, but the majority of the talking during Raul's dirt dives were usually invited or other knowledgeable Lee Mac, for example. But really, actually, even Lee, during a dirt dive, Lee Mac didn't say a fucking word. No. Nope. Well, let, Le- let me reframe the question, or I guess the, the point that I'm after. When, so, you know, Raul will occasionally organize like a staff load, like a big mm-hmm. way. We'll do a Raul way, right? Mm-hmm. And if you are talking during a Raul way, he shuts that shit down real fast. <laughs> and yeah. it's, it's huge. I mean, I think part of it, as a, as a participant, like, hey, someone else is organizing this jump. Like, you kind of owe them. Someone else is doing this job to make this guy have a success. And it's just a, a it's just respect, you know? Mm-hmm. Shut the fuck up and let the person whose brain is going to make this whole thing work, let them do their job. There's no doubt, man. So uh, it, it, in what you asked, sitting next to me at one point of our dirt dives, there were a couple guys who were talking and trying to discuss what they thought their job was to be at the moment. And Raul was not talking about where they were at at the moment. But the problem was, is Raul was talking about the people on, my, uh, on the other side of me. Now I'm surrounded by the people who don't know what's going on and the people he's trying to talk to. Mm-hmm. And there's no doubt in my mind, I need to understand what's going on to the people on my right. So I'm trying to listen to you. And I don't know if you noticed the guys on my left at the moment. I looked and I was like, hey guys, can you hold it down? I, I need to hear this. So absolutely, just because it's not pertinent to you doesn't mean it's not pertinent to me. And I need to hear it. Well, usually when we're in the situation with these staff loads and there are a couple people who are talking, they're not talking about this. They're talking about the girl's butt on the other side of the hanger. That's <laughs> usually what the conversation <laughs> is about. Because, I mean, especially with, you know, people who teach skydiving for a living, they fucking, they think they know uh, everything. Exactly. You know? They're not that's paying. exactly oh, I don't, right. I don't need to hear any of this shit. Yeah. I'm going to fuck off right now. And then that's <laughs> usually the person who goes low. Correct. Yeah. And I think I would be a perfect example of that because in Raul's camp, um, between you and I, we by far had the most jumps. As a matter of fact, if you took Raul out of the equation and added everybody else together, I think I had more jumps than everybody else combined. But yet I was attentive as fuck. You didn't say anything during that camp I haven't heard before. However, you helped me understand it better understand it differently just because i knew all these words didn't mean i understood the concept well so i definitely was like what you got buddy and i asked a lot of questions one thing is hear something and the other thing is listening to th- something sometimes you go and make a jump and you hear that and you have to do this in a row okay i'll do that but they don't have a clue how to do that mm-hmm. they don't understand how to do that and they say okay you did good how I, how I did that, you know? So it becomes dangerous when you are in a, in a, 
in a jump and you don't have an idea how you get there, how how you did that, you know how oh, we did it. <laughs> Shout out to Mr. Mumphy. Mumphy. Dude, he just tore some ass up at uh, swooping in. Uh, what's the name of that place? If I told you that I tore some ass up, you would not have the mental picture that you're about to describe. Just going to say that. Just say it. Copenhagen. Man. Copenhagen, thank the, you. Thank you very freestyle much. Freestyle swooping competition. Dude, Mumphy is the bomb. Dude, I had a nickname for him in Spanish. Okay. Plastilina. Past that means play dog. Plastilina. Plastilina. You know the play play dog. Oh, plastilina. Play doh. Play doh. Play doh. Yeah. That play doh. Plastilina. Because plastilina. he land, he just boom, got to the ground. You know, and he just stand up like nothing happened. <laughs> <laughs> so I call him plastilina. What did he crashes and stands up like nothing happened? No, I mean, because oh, no, that's no. my move. I was yeah, gonna yeah. say, <laughs> I, I do that yeah, pretty well. Yeah. But you're more stronger than him. He's skinny, you know, like a man. I say a lot of balls are gonna, you know, <laughs> break here. And he's he's perfect. He's like silly putty. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> the discipline, making sure you hear versus listen to yeah. something. And one of the things that, that you make as a point is, is listen with an intent of learning. Correct. And there's so many things you told us during that camp that I very well understood, but I acted like I didn't because. Maybe as a new jumper, I understood it differently than when you told it to me. I got a little bit more intricacy. The words that you use might have meant something to our friend Nicole Craig, who did a nice job and understood things well. But to me, it took it to the next level of understanding. So I don't want to assume I know a damn thing, man. I really enjoyed being a student in your class. You're such a phenomenal communicator. Uh, you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank <laughs> you, man, for that for that time. But listen, and the other thing that I noticed during your camp is is a lot of our friends did a really great job of listening, and kudos to those friends. But a lot of guys will not, they'll hear and not listen, and the proof to me of that is you'll say, yo, DJ, you need to do this better. Well, I did that because Nick did this. That's hearing, not listening. And the reality is, is I might have fucked something up because Nick fucked it up in front of me, too. But it doesn't matter because if I listen to what you tell me and only apply to what I need, it doesn't matter what Nick fucks up. I can take care of business and I can finish it. Mm -hmm. So hearing and listening is by far a huge thing. One of the things you say is no talking. No talking, man. Listen to the guy speaking. Let other people listen to you. Have you ever been on a big way where you have that chaos of the group talking while the organizer's trying to communicate? Yes, but I don't want to be in that big way. What, what happens in those camps? What happens in those big Well, ways? exactly what's going on in the on the ground is going to happen in the air. It's a lot of chaos because people are not paying attention. People are not getting 100% of what they are being said. So that's going to happen. That's, and you know for sure that's going to happen in the air. When you get together like a 16-way team, all of these guys, I mean, we're Latins. We're, we're crazy. You know, <laughs> we're, you know, explosive or whatever. But when we are you're diving, we're all quiet. It's just one guy talking, and we're paying attention. If we want to say something, we raise our hand, and we say it, and we talk but in a disciplined way. And that's the only way. You see uh, um, the way you. When, when, uh, the guayo. The guayo. The guayo. The guayo. It's Jack. Uh, Jack Burke. Jack Burke. When he's talking, nobody's talking. That's discipline. I love watching these guys. They're diving. I really love watching these guys. And they do it exactly what they're doing. They do it in the air with the minor mistakes. They correct it. Da, 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 da. That's it. That's the, that's the way 
you should do a big way. Exactly the same way. I want to take that discipline to another level. And this is actually, I'm only mimicking and repeating you now because these are your own words. Another thing you say with discipline and the first thing you taught us is be on time. Be on time for your classroom seminars. Be on time for dirt dives. Be on time for debriefs. And you used DeGueo as that, that example. Mm-hmm. When DeGueo lands, you see by discipline they meet each other to high five. Mm-hmm. When DeGueo is time for debriefs, there's no announcement for a debrief. Yeah. When it's time to dirt dive, there's rarely an announcement to dirt dive. And it's that discipline. Explain how important that discipline is in function of the skydive. Well, discipline is, if you want to be success, success, success in life, you have to have discipline. Mm-hmm. That's that's mandatory, right? If you want to have a success in the sky with a, with a jump, you have to have discipline in the entire process from the, on the ground, in the plane, exit, approaching, uh, flying the formation, tracking, landing, everything. So uh, if you don't have that discipline, if you don't pay attention, if you don't... Um, be there. You don't commit because having a discipline there is because you want to. You want this to happen. You want this formation or this jump to happen. You want to have this record, or even if it's not a record, it's just a, a jump. You want to ha- be safe and and complete this uh, formation, right? Uh, this jump. The only way you can do this is to put all your energy, all your self into this job with a lot of discipline and with a lot of love you know and if if you do that and every single one of you is doing the same thing magic is happening so just something to i I absolutely agree with the the attitude that you're that you're preaching towards Uh, i wonder what it's like when someone shows up with that all, they know it all, arrogant attitude, and that they don't want to listen to what you're saying because they just think they're the fucking man and they, they know it all already. Do, do you have that very often in your camps? Sometimes, and we have to put it outside. Uh, uh, do you address that? Side. Yes, and I have to talk uh, uh, person to person and try to make it understand that's not happening again and it's not going to wait that he's going to keep doing that during this uh, or camp or, or camp or, uh, or jump. I imagine you have that same attitude in courses. Oh, rating courses, a, a million percent. Co- coaching so. courses, canopy uh, courses. Yeah, in, in all courses. And one of the things I'll say with the discipline of time management, and then I'll I'll say and I'll take it into what you taught us, is in time management, everybody standing there in that classroom, sitting in that classroom, standing in that dirt dive, made a commitment to be there on time, and now they're all waiting for you. I have one irreplaceable resource, and that is my time. You can take stuff away from me and give it back to me, but my time you will never take back from me. And you're so important that you can make five other people, 14 other people, 100 other people wait for you. You're that important that we all have to wait for you? Congratulations. I look forward to the day that I'm, actually, I don't want to be that important, but congratulations, you're that important. And something that you conveyed during our dirt dives, and man, it really... You know, I say I, I understood all these things we talked about, but you gave me a new level of understanding or a refined understanding, and this is one of those things. 
you really emphasize being on time for the dirt dive. And one of the things I made sure I did is I was as close as I could be for the dirt dives and ready. Even though there's a few times I got distracted because staff are grabbing me, jumpers are grabbing me. They don't realize I was, dude, it was a Saturday and I was fucking playing and fun jumping. Thank you so much, Roll. <laughs> that was a blessing. But the thing was, is when we started the dirt dive, I was already there. I was already engaged. There was no thinking about what's going on, where am I at? I was already calm. Now, we watched some of our friends show up last minute. They weren't calm. So now as we launch the exit, I'm peaceful. As the formation or the base is building, I can watch it calm. I'm not worried, man. I'm already here. I've, I've been here for the last five minutes. I'm good to go. The calmness that was there for me because I didn't rush to a dirt dive translated to the dirt dive. The calmness in the dirt dive translated to the sky. The idea of the dirt dive should be exactly what we do in free fall or vice versa. Man, that being on time discipline, you really took it to that next level of understanding for me. Yeah. The other thing is that when you do beat ways, everybody's equal. Mm -hmm. Nobody's more than anyone. Everybody's equal. Mm -hmm. So that being said, that doesn't give you the right to be late and everybody waiting for you. You have to be there. Everyone has to be there early. Everybody has to be on time. Yeah. If you're not early, you're late. And I know there's usually only one person who beats me to the drop zone every morning. And he's sitting to my right. And, and I don't think... Mark Fields beats me every day. You know what? <laughs> I am a fucking liar. There's only two people who beat me to the drop zone every morning because Mark Fields is always there way before us. Nick he's, Lott, uh, he's the mechanic for the drop zone. Anybody that doesn't know Mark. What a great guy. Wonderful <laughs> Santa Claus of a man. Nick Lott is usually there. And I and Nick has no clue when I show up because he's focused doing his workout. And then between Steph, myself, and, and Hank, we're always there early because now as my day starts... I'm relaxed. I'm not running around trying to figure things out. I'm prepared. What a cool feeling just to be there, just relax. And on the contrary, when you're running late, Mm -hmm. what an ugly feeling, you know? So you have to think ahead. Yeah. And try to be early. This isn't, you know, and everything. If you don't, if you're running late and you don't have feelings about that, you're a piece of shit. <laughs> I mean, it translates all the way to this show because there's many times that Nick and I and Justin, all three of us, commonly come to work straight here. And for me, it's common that I come home, I eat dinner at that desk while I'm setting everything up. And Justin, thank you so much, will come in and greet me and say hello to me. And he'll see when I'm still engaged and trying to switch from one mode to the other. So can he hang out and bother me? I, and it's not a bother at all. Or he's like, oh, DJ's busy. And it's so much so that you've teased me. You're making me nervous. Sit down and relax, bro. Um, Man, it translates to everything we do. Be on time, man. It is so critical. One of my favorite lines in my courses is if somebody's 15 minutes late, I'm going to explain to them, you're 15 minutes late, please be on time. Now, I'd like to explain to you that you stole 15 minutes of my time, but I'm not going to tell you that. What I'm going to tell you is I'm supposed to be home at a certain time to spend time with my wife tonight. So you stole 15 minutes from my wife because they don't give a fuck rat's ass about me and I don't either. But that's the truth of it, man. Your being late doesn't just affect my life, my classroom, my dirt dive in Raul's big way. But now you're 15 minutes late. Raul's beautiful 18-year-old and 12-year-old daughters who are waiting for their papa to come home. You're late to that because some asshole thought he was more important to hang out with his buddies in the packing room. Dude, 
respect these people's times. Nick Lott likes to say you're a piece of shit. And I think that's respectful to say it that way because I can say it a little bit differently. Be on time. Pay attention. Show discipline. But, but commitment was another thing you talked about. And, and I love that one because commitment, for a hundred way to be successful, you have to have... You have to believe in what you're doing. You have to commit. Commitment is believing something. That I believe in this. If I, when you get in a, com- in a company, well, okay, I'm going to get into this company. I'm going to start working and I'm going to make a compromise here. It's completely different because you're giving something because they're giving something to you. Commitment is a different thing. You believe in what you're doing. You believe in this company. You believe in this. So you have to be excited in a way, you know? So when you're doing this, you have to commit. Like I said, the day before, mm-hmm. you have to be thinking positive. Oh, my gosh. I mean, today, Tomorrow. Sorry. Tomorrow, tomorrow is going to be the best day. I'm going to be doing that. You know, you have to tell your brain and, you know, that everything is going to be, you know, like uh, successful. And you have to commit with that feeling. You have to commit what you do and you have to commit um, with a, a lot of positive thinking, you know. So you have to believe in what you're doing. If you don't believe, do you have a chance to do to do whatever you do in life if you don't believe what you're doing no no man so commitment is a is a key word when you do a big way or whatever you want to do in 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 our sport the power of visualization is so unbelievable and actually i'm reading some uh studies and some some uh I can't think of the right word for it right now, but the, some papers and, and things doctors and other folks have written about the power of visualization and coaching and whatnot. And people will kind of poo-poo on the idea of visualization sometimes, but I'll take it down to, to me, it's a very easy analogy. Watch an NBA game. I don't watch a lot of basketball. I grew up playing basketball and used to love it. But what does a basketball player do at the free throw line before he shoots that ball? He usually kind of toss the ball in front of him just to be out of his way, and he goes through the physics, the motions, the mechanics of shooting a free throw. Why? Because he's not just going through the mechanics, he's visualizing. Watch some of these players stand at that free throw line and watch them close their eyes. Top-level, million-dollar athletes are closing their eyes. I don't think they're closing their eyes because they're million-dollar athletes. I think they became million-dollar athletes because they visualize, because they take the time to believe in themselves, that power of positive. You, 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 it was so funny because in the big way camp, you talked about like you need to go to bed being excited about what you're doing tomorrow. You need to go to bed believing in what you're going to do. You need to go to bed thinking about what your job and your goal is. And as you said that, I always think of do last night and, and the night before your big way camp. I was like, man, I'm doing all this big way camp tomorrow. I'm so excited. And no lie, man, there was a moment where I'm going like, dude, I'm the guy with 8,000 jumps. I'm the guy who kind of is a leader and a role model, man. If I go low, I'm going to look like a fucking chump. No, no, no. I'm going to do my job. There you go. And it's exactly, I had that negative moment. I had that negative thought, and we call it uh, thought stopping. When you have that negative thought the night before, when you have that negative thought in the camp, immediately say stop and say it. And start thinking positive. Say it out loud and immediately replace it with no, I will do this. I will be successful. And I pictured it. And straight up on one of our jumps, and we only got a couple jumps that day, I was in a moment where I started over pushing a little bit, over amping a little bit, and I started to go on low. And I actually was able to take that same energy and say, stop, do this. 
and recover before it became a problem. So not only did it make me feel good about waking up tomorrow morning or that next day and doing it, but I was able to use that same thought-stopping exercise and use that same positive placement to make sure I did the right thing. You called it showing off in the camp. I said, I almost took out the formation. <laughs> I think I exaggerated my truth of it. I was just picturing a very tight thing in my mind. You know, I'm strongly a believer of in visualization, and I use it all the time in my life. long time ago, when I was not living in the state, I was... Uh, with my friend John, John Robin, who passed away a few years ago. And I was at his house in Sebastian, and he was one of my mentors. And I said to him in the kitchen, his kitchen, you know, uh, John, I want to move here. I want to come to the state. I want to live here. I want to skydive here. I want to do this and this and this. And he said to me, well, start thinking about it. Start, you know, be positive about it, thinking about it. So you're right, visual, visualization. Mm -hmm. And I started doing that. What I was trying to look for on my phone here was... Uh, <laughs> do, you, do you know Axel Zoman? Do you know who he, I know, who he I know of Axel. So Axel is yep. a, a, a skydiving legend. Worked for iFly uh, up until he, he retired a, a couple years ago and then uh, passed away. Cancer, cancer-related stuff. Super nice guy, good friend of mine. And... Uh, I wanted to be a, a tunnel instructor really badly. And this was like 2012 when there weren't many tunnel instructors. Austin it was just about to open up. Mm -hmm. And he was pretty straightforward with me of like, hey, man, you got some tattoos on your hands and on your neck. Parents might not like that. You're probably not going to have a great, a great shot getting a job as a tunnel instructor. But let's, let's talk about what you can do on your own being a tunnel coach. And he gave me um, a, few, a few really good articles about just what, what – makes a good coach, what good coaching looks like. And this talked about visualization, which is what I was trying to look up, and I think it was a bobsled team that it talked about. Of They had these groups, and they had one group focused just on, on training. There was training, training, training. That's all they did. They had a group that did 75% training, 20% or 25%, yeah, 75% training, 25% visualization, 50-50, and then 75-25 the other way. And the group that spent the most time doing the visualization is the group that performed the best. The group that that uh, I don't think that they had a 100% group, 100% uh, visualization group that didn't do any physical training, but um, the ones that spent the most time seeing it uh, successful were the ones who, who did the best. And I think that the w one of the caveats to that was that it was people who already had the skill set. Like, it wasn't like, hey, I've never been on a bobsled before, but if I sit here and think about it, I'm going to beat these world champions, right? That's, not, that's an exaggeration of the point. Correct. But for people that have the skill set... Um, you know, the stuff that you're talking about on Belly Big Ways is pretty fundamental stuff. Mm -hmm. Would you agree? Yeah. So most people who are in this camp have, have some of these skills, and as long as they put the understanding, the big picture uh, knowledge and, and skills around it that they're going to learn in, in, in a camp like that, then uh, the, the more time they spend seeing every little part of, of what that successful skydive is going to look like, breaking it down to the littlest parts, what you're going to think like when you climb out, what you're going to see, the first thing you're going to pick to look at when you let go of the airplane, the first person you're going to see, what color helmet was that, yes. Who's, whose rig am I looking Correct. at, what hand am I gripping with, where where is my hand going? Oh, uh, what's my cue for break off? What what am I going to look at when I break this is off? A visualization. All, all of these things, yeah. That's visualizing every little part of it, and and those those are the jumps that uh, that have always gone well for me, or that I've always done my job well. We say it all the time in life, man. The first time you do something, you're probably not that good at it. The second time you do something, you're better. The third time you do something, you're traditionally better, better, better. So the more times you can do it, the more comfortable you are with it 
the more successful you'll be at it. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about this in the big way world. But let's forget that for one second. Life goals, life lessons is what we're talking about right now. With your big way camp, what you just described is called exit framing. You like those words? Mm-hmm. I learned that word from you, my friend. <laughs> exit framing. As soon as I leave the airplane, I want to picture what I know should be happening. Number one, if I get out the plane and I see it, hey, I am familiar with this. I am at peace. I'm at home because I know this is exactly what's supposed to be going on. Or in the case of our first jump, I got out and go, this is nowhere near the picture I'm supposed to be seeing. But I was able to find where I needed to go. I was able to go, wait a minute, it's not the picture, but what's the next step? How can I create this picture? Let's take it back to life. Raul, we're going to delve into your personal life a little bit. What have your previous careers been? You're, you're a very successful man. <laughs> what have you done in your life as far as careers Thank or jobs have been? Well, I studied dentistry and uh, our business from when I was stud- I studied dentistry, I started uh, all the kind of business and I uh, uh, imported and exported things to Venezuela. Like, uh, Drug you know, us. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, What's up, Pablo? Uh, <laughs> uh, things for your, for your house, uh, for the kitchen, you know, plates or whatever. I used to um, go to companies and ask them, what do you need for your employees? You know, big companies. Mm-hmm. And they say, well, I need uh, um, uh, all the silverware or whatever, and, you know, the small package. Well, I can give it to you. This is all I made, my samples, and I bring it from China or from Mexico, from whatever. Like, I don't know. Those kind of service I used to do, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm distributing all over Venezuela. And also... Um, uh, Laundry mat. Yes, uh, I have a, uh, it's not a laundromat, it's a dry cleaning. Dry cleaning, sorry. Dry cleaning business. And I used to have, before that, a uh, license from Mattel. Mattel. I think this is new. The toy company? The toy company. I have a license. You got Barbie to dolls? No, but <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> the license to, com, uh, com, uh, to build uh-huh. the clothes for girls. Okay. With a brand Barbie. Barbie I was clothes, kidding, really? but fuck for yeah, real, dude. Awesome. So we have to go to New York and do all the designs and all that kind of stuff <laughs> to be approved, all that kind of stuff. That's and hilarious we, to think about. Of like, man, I could look at a Barbie doll and be like, man, who the fuck came up with this stuff? Like, who decided what Barbie was gonna wear? You're looking at them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was not deciding what Barbie was gonna wear. What the girls are gonna wear in Venezuela with a Barbie brand. Okay, you know so I mean? Barbie clothing brand yes. for people, not yeah, for dolls. for girls. I didn't know that for existed. Girls. I didn't know that was a thing either. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense because every little girl wanted to be Barbie growing exactly. up. So it, it, um, so there's Raul, just a Barbie girl living in a Barbie world. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. So at that point, <laughs> I fucking hate you. <laughs> I'm a Barbie girl. <laughs> hey, I didn't sing it. I didn't sing it. Man, you, you brought that evil on yourself. I didn't sing it. You, you, should, you should see my, my stores were really pink, all Barbie. With the clothes for girls and the and the toys and the dolls and all that, you know, they were really really beautiful. You know, it was really successful. I have like uh, four or five years, four years something like that. So and with all all these brands, all these businesses, all and and, there, and it continues to move on because today you have another company here in America. You have been able to continually and repeatedly become a successful businessman. How much have you visualized during that process? How much has this visualization helped you in real life? Well, I always see myself like doing business in every mm-hmm. single aspect, you know. 
and uh, uh, I was doing good in Venezuela before uh, my decision to come to the state because of the situation economically in Venezuela, or the not necessarily at that point economically it was uh, uh, political, well, and you know uh, it was really bad. Mm -hmm. So I uh, decided to see where I can bring my my family, where I can take my family to try to be safe, and uh, we were looking for other options and. Uh, I decide to sell every single uh, store that I, uh, I have, uh, I had, mm. and just keep one, and uh, I just keep the the dry cleaning. Mm -hmm. And my dry cleaning is being with me like a, the same age as my daughter, eighteen years. Oh wow! Yeah, eighteen years. Still have it. I still have it, but it's not running now by me. It's, I give it to my my uh, uh, brother. Mm -hmm. So he's running, uh, uh, running that uh, for me, or for them because this is for him now. But you know, with the situation that we have, is I mean, it's it's difficult, but he's doing a really good job, trying to survive and all that. Um, yeah, but I mean, uh, if it wasn't for my the country that uh, everything went to mm -hmm. uh, to hell. Uh, I would stay there and keep working on my business and all my stuff and keep traveling, skydiving for fun, you know, um, whatever, you know. Have, have things improved in Venezuela? No. No. They, have they, they gotten worse? They've worse. gotten worse. They just, uh, they wanted to control the, they wanted to control the country in every single aspect, the, the government. And they just raised the minimum salary in 5,000, almost 6,000%. So the minimum salary. The minimum salary. So it was let let's put it this way: it was three thousand bolivars. Now it's one hundred and eighty thousand bolivars. That's the minimum salary. The minimum salary. Is that the minimum salary required to pay, or minimum salary needed to live? To pay, they pay you. Okay. But you know, when you do that, imagine you you get inflation. Three thousand dollars that you get every month, and then they say, no, you're gonna earn 180,000 every month. They just increase that like, boom, imagine. So do you think you're going to have a job tomorrow? They're going to pay you this? Oh, yeah, they're just going to fire everybody because they can't afford to pay that money. I see the problem now. You see the problem? Because I'm thinking like, I'm going from $3,000 a year to $180,000. Yeah. Making it rain, bitch. Fuck, I'm buying me a goddamn Lamborghini, dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, but then people can't afford this minimum. Correct. So I want to back up just one second. And first of all, check out episode 10 of the podcast and see Raul's first visit because we spend a lot of time talking about Venezuela. Venezuela leads the world in asylum requests in the United States. Venezuela second leader of asylum requests is China, the by far largest, 1050-fold larger than Venezuela. That's how much of a decay state's on Venezuela. Now, Venezuela is not a horrible place to be geographically. It's the sixth most biodiverse country in the, in the world. It has so much going on for it. But yet people are leaving. And just a quick recap why people are leaving. You all have a president named... Maduro. Maduro. And Maduro is, is just uh, a dictator. Coño la madre. Coño la madre. Yeah. There were uh, some viral videos going around of people saying, Coño la madre to, uh, to Maduro. 
What's that mean? It means your mom's vagina. Basically <laughs> saying, fuck your mother. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and really, he is a, um, a product of, god damn, what was his name before him? Chavez. Chavez, and also uh, Cuba. Um, what's a Cuba guy's name? That, that Fidel really, Castro. Castro, thank mm-hmm. you. So really, we have this really just communist dictatorship going in place, and they're falsifying elections. They're planning themselves in. They're throwing tons of hashtag fake news out there Correct. to make them look like they're doing the right thing. Yeah. Now, recently, I saw a very interesting uh, a picture, and I, gosh, I want to say it was into, and help me out with what country's border Venezuela, but I wanted to say it was maybe in the Ecuador. Is that a border? It's Ecuador. It's in Colombia. It's in Peru. So people was, are walking from Venezuela, walking out. They're getting out, and they're just trying to get to whatever they can. Have you seen the photos, Nick, of people crossing a bridge to get into Ecuador because they want to leave Venezuela? I have not seen that. Uh, yeah. Did you know so the picture maybe, I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah. It's ungodly. Imagine this four-lane-plus bridge. Yeah. Packed with people tighter than you could ever imagine, shoulder to shoulder, as tight as possible, completely packed because that's how desperate people are to yeah. leave this godforsaken person, but a wonderful country. It's a, it's a beautiful, wonderful country. Like I said, in the 90s, before Chavez, uh, I mean, the country that I grew up, oh, oh my gosh, man, it was it's a paradise. Uh, people are really nice. Uh, the food is awesome. The uh, climate is perfect. It's all the time jumpable. And uh, um, uh, weather-wise, it's always about 87, 85, you know. It's so nice. It's beautiful. Beautiful. We have every different kind of a, uh, of a, uh, environment. We have uh, beaches. We have mountains. We have jungle. Rainforest. We have rainforest. We have everything in Venezuela. It's a beautiful, beautiful world in a small in a small country, you know? And uh, and also, one of the biggest things about Venezuela that is so rich, so rich because of the oil, mm-hmm. that these guys from Venezuela and from cu- Cuba, they get together and they say, okay, let's do this. Let's suck it up. Let's get this all this money. And we're, they're trying to, they're trying to um, get money to all these uh, terrorist people uh, guys in Iran or uh, Russia or whatever, they're just trying to, um, how do you say, uh, export the uh, um, uh, Cuban uh, revolution to Latin America. Okay, That's the plan. That's the goal for them. And uh, they're being successful so far. They were trying to conquer Ecuador, not anymore. They were trying to get uh, Argentina, not anymore. Because of the um, president, they they used to have a president. It was a girl. Don't remember her name, Christina, uh, but don't remember her last name. Uh, they they lost the election and they put a, a guy Macron, I think. Uh, he is against Maduro. So all these channels that they used to have, they are being closed. Brazil, for example, Lula. Lula is part of the these guys, Maduro, Chavez, Fidel, uh, the guy from Bolivia, Evo Morales, all these guys are part of one. They're all being um, trained in Cuba. So the thing that confuses me and maybe doesn't is all these other countries were able to get rid of the dictators. And in Venezuela, you guys have tried. 
what happened is they never changed the constitution. This guy changed the they they changed the constitution. That's right. So they are they stay in every single election they stay and they control everything. They control the elections. They control all these um, institutions. And in order to have a democracy, all the institutions had to work independently. You know. And uh, that's a democracy. In Venezuela, we don't have a democracy because they are all working for the same guy. It, it amazes me to know that such a beautiful and rich country is being so neglected. Team America, world police, you know, we're known Fuck for yeah. how... Yeah, thank you, Justin. Uh, we're known for getting involved with all these things. What do you think it is that's not allowed Venezuela to get the attention and the help that, that your well, friends and family we're deserve? Getting, we're, getting, we're getting attention. The uh, United States is helping a lot. They're doing a lot of... Uh, penalizing all these guys, all the accounts, all the multimillionaires' uh, accounts that these guys have here, they've been cut it, and uh, they're trying to get together to the people of Latin America, the mm -hmm. oldest presidents, and, you know, try to work with a plan to to see if we can get rid of Maduro. And I think something is, is cooking, uh, but I don't know when, when it's going to happen. We are all wish that it's going to be yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but something, they're being really helpful. Just, and, uh, just to tag along on this point, I mean, even, even if the government, are, uh, the government is helping, I feel like just the average American person, like if I didn't know, know, if I didn't have Venezuelan friends, I, I don't know you how don't much know. I would know yeah. about it. And so it's odd like that people know so much about what's going on in the Middle East or wh where, wherever that there's... Uh, you know, human injustice. Because they don't show it in the, in the in the media. The media just talk about things that happen happen here, but they don't talk about what's going on outside uh, United States. Just to maybe France or Germany or you know these uh, uh, first world countries, mm -hmm. but the the second or third countries work on. They don't talk about that. But you know, Venezuela is important. It's important for a lot of countries because of the money, because of the oil, uh, man, because of the people. Uh, because of the people. Honestly, like you know, I, I don't want to like kiss anybody's ass or tag along with with the DJ here, but man, Venezuelans are such nice people. Mm. Like I, I, I mean, I only know so many so many Latin folks, but man, you guys are great. <laughs> Thank There's you. A, yes, a huge, we are. Huge we cultural are. part of uh, you know whatever you guys have going on there that. That makes you all so happy and outgoing and friendly and welcoming. I think one of the things that we are different to every single one in every country is we can laugh of our own problems. You know, that's yeah. one of the things. We, even if we we know that we're having a really really bad time, sometimes we make jokes about it, but we know indeed we we suffer what we got, but we we had to keep going. You know. What do you think about the uh, the drone attack explosion deal with Maduro? What do you think? I think. Um, God, I oh, don't know. Okay, I, I think, think was Nick was driving, was flying <laughs> that drone you, over there. Show Nick, you, come on, Nick. You know, I would have done a better job. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what. No, but for, if anyone hasn't heard about it, there was a drone. He was giving a speech, right? There was yeah. a someone flying a drone and it yeah. exploded kind of far from him. Yeah. Do you, do you think that that was a legitimate assassination attempt, or you think not at all? <laughs> so, what do you think happened? This they were the the TV channel from uh, that's what I understood at the end. There's so many versions. 
But the TV channel from the, the government, they were flying drones and with a panoramic vision and whatever. Mm-hmm. And they just, one, one the sniper just uh, shot one of them and explode. And a couple of them, they say a couple of them, they knew what was going to happen. And they just put a show and say there was an as, as intent, uh, attempt of assassination. Mm-hmm. And they just put it this and like a, you know, like a big thing. You just think a sniper who was there for security shot down a drone that was just shooting video. Yeah. yeah it was nothing. If they say it was a C4 in the, uh, right at the drone. If it was a C4 right there. All these guys around the world. That's a I huge mean, boom if it is. Of course. It was yeah. just like a plan. Oh, and they were, you know, like a running or whatever. It was it was a it was a circus. It was a it was a show. There's no doubt a, a few incidents have come over the time of, of the president being attacked. And and I really from what I see and I'm far outside and removed, it looks like they're just trying to make them look like the good guys and the people are the bad guys and you should feel sorry for us world look how the venezuelan people are treating us we're just here to help venezuela no you're here to help yourself to venezuela not to help the people of venezuela no they wanted to see that they wanted to uh, make the like the opposition are the bad guys and they are the good guys you know that's the sympathy that's the way cuba always do you know they Transfer. They they convert everything in a in a way that they they can get uh, benefit from it. You know, man. So if our friends and our family want to learn a little bit more about your beautiful country and what's going on, what what kind of resources? Where can we look to get an idea of what's happening in Venezuela? Social media. Search Venezuela. Search uh, not the government uh, uh, thing. Look for people that. Uh, they are not related to the government, but it's kind of hard, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, look for your Venezuelan friends. Yes. Look for your Venezuelan friends and search what they were, whatever they are uh, searching, they were looking. Man, I'm trying to remember some of the hashtags we shared during your first visit, but uh, I don't remember. Um, free Venezuela yeah. is absolutely one of the things you can search. Yeah. And Free Venezuela is going to have a lot of information. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, it's, it's not really promoting this show, and I really don't care about what's going on with this show for this moment. What I care about is in our first visit in episode 10, man, there was a lot of information. You and I and, and Nick really dove into what's going on. Yeah. So go back and, and listen to there because, A, you've lived the life there and you've done that, but... Uh, Nick and I talk. I do a little bit of research for shows uh, early on. I did, but I don't do any more any any more at all. But my gosh, I don't know how many hours of video and news stories and things I read to understand your country better. And uh, brother, I look forward to the day that you and I get to go to Venezuela together, make a skydive on this beautiful island you've described to me. What what is that island again? Turtle Island. Yeah. Tortuga. At- Remember that we talk about uh, uh, Roger Ponce de Leon? Yes, sir. We do that color concept jump in Turtle Island. Man, it would be so beautiful and such a wonderful chance. So, guys, gals, definitely check it out. I, I want to go backwards one second to that visualize. And that visualize, whether it's visualizing for your life, whether it's visualizing for the freedom of Venezuela, but in this case, it was visualizing skydiving. The one thing I loved about your emphasis of visualize is don't over-visualize. If you have to cram for a test, you weren't ready for the test. In the plane, I'm visualizing. I'm picturing it. But I took more time in the plane breathing, relaxing, enjoying it. 
man, in the plane, you say, don't talk, don't disturb each other. Avoid distracting each other was actually your exact words in that moment because your friends next to you might be visualizing or you might be enjoying that moment of calm because now that you visualize that skydive, now you visualize the success in your life, now that you visualize your friends being free in Venezuela, you want the time to relax and enjoy it, right? Mm -hmm. Be calm. Man, we're really cutting a little bit short to the end of the time here. Nick turns into a pumpkin very shortly and very shortly. Get it? Hey, you're stealing time from my girlfriend. You right? got it, man. Your little dumb, short, brown girlfriend. Tiny little dumb idiot. <laughs> oh, dude, I love the stories. I went out to dinner with D uh, Stone Street last night. I got to hear a couple more uh, little brown girl stories from her. So uh, D's uh, daughter is turning 18 in March, and I'm taking her on tandem. Oh, awesome. And uh, and, and Alexis is like, well, I don't know anybody who shoots video. Where am I going to ask for video? And Dee looked at her and goes, uh, <laughs> duh, Nick. So uh, in March, March 24th, or no, no, March 19th, we'll be doing another time. I together. hope she takes you on as good of a ride as the last young lady from. Oh, my God. I showed I showed uh, them the pictures, that young, young German lady who, uh, dude, a girl on a I'm going to talk her into it. Her legs at pull time were both in a split, both straight down, but in front of her. She could look at her knees when she was deploying the parachute. It was crazy. Uh, Raul, anything else you want to share with our friends about the world of big ways that you love so much? Uh, big weight is a wonderful, wonderful discipline in, uh, in skydiving. So uh, in order to do big ways, do it in a safe way. Do it with knowledge. And I really, really recommend you to come to my big way camp. Mm -hmm. Um you're going to learn so much, so many things there uh, in detail, you know. And uh, uh, it, it, like I said, you're going you're gonna to be a different person bef uh, after that seminar and after that B-Way camp. Um, I really, I really inviting you to participate and uh, we're gonna have, you're going to have a wonderful time and uh, we're going to get to know each other a little bit more and... Uh, like I said, you're going to be a different person after. And, man, uh, enjoy it. Enjoy your, 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 your camp. It's, it's amazing. You're going to love it. I've got to know a lady named Lori Mitchell over the years. But, Lori Mitchell, during your Big Way camp, we were partnered together in a few places. And, man, it was so good to get to know her better. What a wonderful lady. What a wonderful lady. Pat, Patty Dutlinger, I've got to know her here and there. She's a wonderful, nice lady. But to get to skydive with her, man, I, I got to share such a wonderful experience with these friends and get to know them better. Yeah. That Big Way camp, that Big Way world is very enticing. Yeah. Over the years, Big Way scared me because of the chaos that Big Ways once were, and you've seen that as well. But today, get proper training, get proper education. And I'll tell you, the first thing that ever attracted me to Big Ways was there's an older video called Free Fly Millennium 2, and I'm going to quote some of these numbers wrong that he said, but a buddy of ours, Heath Richardson, said in speaking of big ways, what attracts him to it is, dude, it's like you're hanging out at a party with 40 of your closest friends, but yet you're going at the planet at 180 miles an hour. This was a free fly big way. In our case, man, you're falling at the planet at 120 miles an hour while hanging out with 40 of your closest friends. That's one of the dopest parties I've ever heard of, man. Raul, you've definitely inspired me just in your camp to learn and, and train more. Uh, your next big way, so so first of all, you do you big way camps how often? Uh, 
Two and a half months, more or less. Every two and a half months, every two to three months. Mm -hmm. So keep an eye out, man. Look on Facebook. Rolls Big Way Camps are going to be posted on Skydive Spaceland's Facebook page. Uh, We'll definitely share them on Gravity Lab, let you guys know they're out there a little bit more. Lee McMillan has been successfully on. What's the largest do you know he's been on? 200, I think. 200 way, but yet he participated in that camp. Jimmy Rude with 1,000 jumps. Lori Mitchell with 1,000. Lori's been on extremely large ways as well. These folks took it as refreshers and walked away learning a lot. I took it highly experienced and walked away learning a lot, and so did all these young jumpers. Take advantage of, of one of the most brilliant personalities I know, and I mean that as a soul, not just as a mind. And Raul is a wonderful man to spend time with, but a wonderful man to learn from. Check thank it you. out. Oh, dude, thank you, mm-hmm. man. And, and learn from him. Once you've taken these big way camps with Raul, now you've also qualified to do big way jumps with you. So beyond those big way camps, you're also doing jumps with some of these participants. Mm-hmm. When's the next big way jump group you're putting together? I believe together? it's going to be in two weeks. So in two weeks, and I'm pulling out my calendar here right now. So two weeks, about two and a half weeks from now then? Uh, September 22nd-ish is what mm-hmm. you're thinking? Now, I, I'll tell you, my goal is to be there. But with uh, Spaceland San Marcos opening up, I'm going to be doing a little bit of traveling back and forth to Ventress. That's officially the town we're in there. And, and so if I am in town, if I am available, I am going to be jumping with you guys in that. And let me tell you, one of my goals is that we have a bunch of people from Spaceland. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to do records here. Just mm-hmm. people from Spaceland. Dope. All right? Doing big ways. Homegrown. I love that, man. People that went into the mentor program, that went to the big way camp, they were doing big ways, and then we can do maybe a 50-way all together just from Spaceland. I would love to be a part of that group. I would love to join you. Justin, have you done his big way camp yet? Yes, I have. I think it was in the first one, actually. Uh, Tom Jenkins gave a lot of input in that. That was just invaluable to have both of you guys there. It's great. Yeah. He usually has guest speakers. He's usually got guests helping him out. Yeah. Um, I got very blessed in your big way camp because at some point I got to speak a little bit about canopy stuff, and yeah. that, that is one specialty I yeah. actually hold. So, guys, gals, check out Raul. Find his big way camps. Please learn and love about Venezuela. Um, you know, again, not kissing ass, but I could go on and on about the number of Venezuelans I've met. And not even here, just here in the sport, but because of the sport, I've met Venezuelans locally in, in Houston. Walk up, see a guy with a Venezuelan flag. I'm like, yo, bro, where are you from? And Venezuela, and I just start talking to him. And without fail, they turn out to be like Claudio. They turn out to be like you. They turn out to be like Danny. They turn out like Pedro, man. These are all brilliant personalities. Fernando. Yeah. They go on and on. As we wrap up the show, Fernando, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just call you Pablo next. Uh, 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 Raul, anything else you want to share with our friends? Well, uh, DJ, Nick. Justin. Justin. <laughs> so, now everybody's forgetting fucking names. <laughs> I thought thank, this was Sober September. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, thank you for letting me uh, share the experience of Big Way. Thank you so much for sharing about Venezuela. I really, really appreciate what you're doing. And... Uh, uh, it's so nice to have people like you guys in this sport that I wish all of us, in a way, can uh, be a little bit like each other, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and share share the sky together. We, in just one jump, all together we can get together like with that we're doing a staff jump. That's amazing. When we all together in the morning, we jump. Mm-hmm. We can start working like with a different, you know, like a a different uh, uh, vibe, yeah. so nice. So 
thank you so much for for giving me this opportunity to to show this and uh, to teach people. And also, you're a wonderful teacher too. <laughs> Man, I uh, I appreciate it. We both have a very similar passion, and that's skydiving. We have another similar passion, and that's sharing yeah. that passion. And I'm very blessed. Surround yourself with people you want to be like, not with people who you are like. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons I've endeared you in my life, and one of the reasons each one of the gentlemen sitting in this room, and I'm going to cry, is in my life, is because each one of you holds strong qualities that I want to be more like. So thank you guys for being here. As we get closing out, Justin, anything else you want to share? Anything else you want to bring up, my friend? Yeah, I wanted to mention uh, this weekend is the transitions rocking your slot. So if you're a younger jumper, not quite ready for big ways, rocking your slot's the, one of the perfect things you can go to. Uh, learning how to fly well with others, maintain your fall rate, stay in your slot, not backslide or move around. Quiet flying is one of the big foundations in you know formation skydiving. There's no doubt in the mentor program. Justin is our assistant lead mentor, really helps with that program. Valerie and I run it. And a lot of what we're going to teach you are the foundations to help you understand Rollins Big Way Camp better. Mr. P, how you doing? I'm doing real good. Yeah. I do want to throw one other thing into uh, the, the conversation about these types of camps that uh, I'm sure we have a lot of younger jumpers who, you know, aren't super excited. You know, their their end goal in skydiving might not be belly big ways. That they might think, oh, I'm going to be the fucking sickest free flyer in the world, blah, whatever, Shred whatever it is. Gnar. But when, when someone comes up to me and, and says, hey, I want to I learn how to free fly. Teach me how to free fly. Teach me how to sit fly, whatever. I am really dismissive of most people because a lot of people that come up starting that conversation have a really low level of experience, especially low level of, of jumping with other people. So when we're teaching you to sit fly, we're teaching you to fly in your head, it's invaluable when we're only teaching you a new orientation and not having to teach you the fundamentals of group skydiving. That if someone came up to me and said, hey, I want to learn to free fly, and they said, I just you know, I did Raul's big way camp and I learned all about approaches and I learned all about breakoffs and I learned all about sharing the sky with other people. And now I want to take those, those, that skill set and translate that to vertical flying, man, you got me. I'm on, I will teach you some shit. But when you say, yeah, I have 50 jumps and I, the last four way belly jump I went on, I didn't get there. It's like, fuck you, man. You're not ready to learn, like, to learn how to sit fly. Right, man. So, and, and not to, not to be a dick about it, but I mean, when I was at that point and when I wanted to start learning how to free fly, nobody told me that it was a bad idea because I don't know that anyone, there wasn't the experience there to tell me, hey, you know, you should probably pump the brakes, focus on some other things before you start doing that. And I became a really bad flyer when I started skydiving. And uh, now we know that there's a better way. And that better way is learning fundamentals through belly, belly group jumps that's... Um, gonna you know all those fundamentals all the stuff that was just focused on in the, in the if you if you learned here all the stuff that was just focused on the student program stuff you're learning the mentor program put all that stuff together and see how it uh works in a group before you uh <laughs> flip everything on its head and try and learn some stuff you're just not ready for Man, by far, everything builds on everything else. What we're teaching you in AFF, what we're teaching in student training is not to be a student. STP at uh, Spaceland is our student program. Do you know what STP stands for, Nick? I was going to make a joke, but I'll just say that it's a skydiver training program. And that's the thing that most people don't understand. Many of our friends say it's the student training program. No, sir, it's the skydiver training program. 
because, and I want people to understand, number one, you're always a student. So we don't want to put you in the context of being a student there. Raul is always a student. He's always learning. I watch when we're doing instructor training camps, instructor training courses, he will come up and he will lurk, partially to encourage and share knowledge with that jumper. But I also watch him learn, and I every now and then will watch one of us say something, and we'll all go, ooh, that's a different way to look at it. You never stop learning. Never, never. stop stealing shit. Exactly. No, <laughs> dude. If you ain't stealing, you ain't trying. Yeah. So you're always a student, but also skydiver training program. The emphasis on that in the STP is what we're training you today on Jump One are fundamentals you should be using for the rest of your skydiving career. What we're teaching you as an A-licensed graduate is the fundamentals of what you'll use in your skydiving career. What you're learning in Raul's big way camps are the fundamentals of formation skydiving. We did a 14-way, but those fundamentals apply to a 400-way. Those fundamentals apply to a 4-way. And really, man, a part of what you talked about in that camp, I'm going to be speaking with our mentors about, about how we can implement these ideas better in our mentor program. So it applies across the board. Nick, what's going on October 20th, my friend? We are having the Gravity Lab Film Festival oh, at uh, Spaceland Houston and Spaceland Dallas on October 20th, just after sunset, they say. You've got it, man. We're going to have that going on. Guys, gals, we're le uh, just over a month away. We're less than a month and a half away. Do me a favor. Help out. First of all, Gravity Lab Film Festival is a dope excuse to throw a great party by myself, Nick, and Justin is, is on the team now with all of this. So we really want to have a good time. Also, our friends in Dallas, Dallas-based crew, Charity Perkins, Brad Perkins, and Ben Nelson representing Gravity Lab Radio there. We're going to be uh, hosting this. And again, it's just a good excuse to have a party. It's a good excuse for you to show off your dope fly skydiving skills and your wonderful editing skills. And you're going to win shit. $2,300 fucking dollars worth of prizes is what the grand prize is said and done. Free GoPro 6, free uh, Pro Track 2, free Aries 2. The prizes go ridiculously on and on. $2,300 worth of prizes is what you can win. Spread the word. Find it on our Facebook page. We'll share it in the next couple days of the event and start telling all your friends about it. Even if you can't make a dope video, then go ahead and uh, get out there. Have a good time. Watch your friends. 12 entries in Houston alone last year. We had a wonderful time. Some people say, I ain't good enough to have that footage. I'm not even good enough to fly a camera. Last year, a young lady named Daniela Fuentes with 100 skydives, not even enough experience to fly a camera herself, got video from all her homies and won the film festival. So you have no excuse. You got a computer. You can splice some videos together. Give it a shot. Give it a try. A, you'll have a good time. B, I look forward to seeing what each and every one of these guys learned in the last year. Anything else you boys have before, Justin? Good luck to everybody at USPA Nationals. Yes, sir. Oh, yes. Safe travels to everybody. Yeah. We have so many, uh, I believe something Teams. like 60 competitors total from Skydive Spacelands, if yeah. I remember the number right. Mm -hmm. And right now, vertical uh, VFS is going on, or vertical formation skydiving. And last I checked, in uh, advanced four-way, uh, a group coming out of Spaceland, our friend Constantine, Nick's best friend Constantine. Are, are they flying in advanced? Uh, they're flying open, I, advanced, intermediate. Is that the right order? Th there's not an intermediate. It's just advanced and open. They're flying advanced advance because okay. i know they're not open and uh last i checked they were in second place uh probably somewhere around eight or nine points behind first place and 20 sob odd points ahead of third place so constantine and his crew are definitely crushing it they're doing a good job 
Justin, thank you. Good luck to our friends and family out there. Till then, guys, we're out of here. Thank you for tuning in Gravity Lab Radio. Tune in next week. The Green Power Ranger, Jason David Frank, is oh, going to be joining us. Shit. See what's going on and how he broke my arm. Till then, <laughs> Gravity Lab Radio. Blue skies. We're out. Swast. <laughs> 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 <laughs>